Hey guys and gals, thanks for coming to our show. Here's some things we want you to know. Attention, Meltcasters! Mention Meltcast inside Meltdown Comics and any variant cover is reduced to $5. Follow through with this exclusive deal today. For those of you looking to join Loot Crate, we have a special promo code for this our very podcast. If you go to lootcrate.com backslash meltcast, use the promo code meltcast3. And that will get you the promotion that is most current for Loot Crate. Check it out, lootcrate.com. Everyone and welcome to Meltcast 3.0. This episode oh. almost didn't happen. Uh, yes, I let Derek know that right before, just because uh, uh, it, uh, it did happen. But uh, I locked myself out. Uh, my <laughs> and it almost didn't happen because I uh, uh, am out, out of the car now. Yeah, which I you we, you talk. A little bit about in, on the segment a, that will come at the tail end of the episode. Uh, I feel like this T- is midpoint at, at the neck of the episode. Yes, this neck, is neck, the head. Neck, and neck, is neck. That, yeah. Yes. Um. How, yeah. So what? How's the how? What? I know. I've been away for a second, and then oh, I had yeah. some things happen when I was away. I just thought about it, and I was like, "Holy cow!" Like, there's. I have been away for a little bit, uh, but you kept you kept the podcast going strong with. Really good episodes. Well, we missed last week. That, mm-hmm. that was just all kinds of stuff. That was but we chaos. did have Lawrence Raw Dog yes. on, and that was great. There's and, times when I go away and I'm, I am kind of like, oh, I don't, I don't, I because I feel like it's dependent on what guest you can find, and I'm almost always pleased by what guest you you find when I'm away for a second. That was we, one where I was like, that's awesome. We had scheduled them a while, but mm-hmm. that. Yeah, it was always kind of like a. It's always like one I hear. It's coming down the pike, and then they they happen. So yeah, I I enjoyed listening to that one. Um, but yeah, I so I went to England again. It was my second time, How and was... I talked about kind of the details a little bit, but I I wasn't sure because I hadn't done the thing yet that uh how much detail I could give. Oh, oh, oh. but um, now I'm I'm. Uh, completely okay with like the full details which are that randomly one day my girlfriend uh who is english um was flipping through la weekly saw an ad that said do you suffer from jet lag do you have an active passport we want to talk to you at santa monica uh clinical trials for a potential uh subject subject study position in a jet lag sleep study. And she was kind of like, I just mostly want to go home. Like for, if this could send me home, I can be amongst the English breeze and the trees and the union Jack. Then she's like, I want to see if that could happen. And she went there and it turned into this very sweet seeming deal. 
And I say seeming um, not because it ended up being a bad thing, but just at the time. Uh, it was suspicious. Was, it was just promising, like, through the whole thing. And, it, like, naturally, you're going to be a little skeptical. Um, but she she called me up, like, when I was just in the middle of work and basically said, you need to get on this, too, if you can. Um, and they put us through this very rigorous uh, uh, training to see if, like, we would exhibit any symptoms for jet lag before actually sending us to another country. Mm-hmm. And so that meant... Uh, having us come in at like noon and then uh, they basically feed us a quote unquote dinner at 2 p.m. You say quote unquote. Be- just like? because it, it, no, it's, it tasted great. It was actually a really <laughs> nice menu. Uh, the whole thing was nice. I promise you there's no sketchy part uh, coming up. I'm just explaining the whole. And so basically they made us pick that. Why I said dinner in quotes is because uh, they wanted it to be a full, like feel like dinner. Mm-hmm. meal to simulate that before they told us to go to bed at 3 p.m. West Coast time. And um, there was like queasiness and things that happened on the trip that my girlfriend and the only other person who was doing it with us, which was a guy from D.C. who had been indicted by Chris Christie for something. I won't go into too many details, but I did that. I was like, what? This is feels like a very surreal trip. <laughs> but he was telling me like the method of which I could make a ton of money. And there was no part where he was like, yeah, yeah, this is a, this is a, this is where you pay me or anything like that. He's just like, he was like, you seem like a good dude. And I want you to find out how to make a lot of money. And I was like, uh, maybe I'll investigate that at some point. <laughs> but anyway, um, I, the main symptom that I like had was that, when I'm supposed to go to bed, like upon first arrival, I can't at all. And that's how it was the first time that I went there uh, was basically that I uh, just like lay awake, eyes wide open. And like the technicians who it was three Italian men were the technicians for the night shift uh-huh. at the sleep center that we were at, which I just thought was was cool because I'd never been. I've never gone to Italy, and I can't say that I've ever been amidst multiple Italian people. Um, And they were all really great guys. Um, But one of them was like, man, you kept your eyes open the entire time. I felt awful for you. And I was like, yeah, I I lived that. Um, But that was was, – then the next day after being awake for so long was when I was like starting to feel – strange but at no point was i like they didn't make us take a pill or anything there was really nothing sketchy about this in fact there was these intimidating rooms that were like basically giant blue refrigerators because they were so cold in there um and they were soundproof and that's where we had to sleep and they had like cameras positioned on us and it sounds not like the ideal room for a night but honestly it was kept at such a cool temperature that I like once I could fall asleep and my body was adjusted, I slept like a baby mm. because I am always like burning alive in LA at yeah. any point. It just rained here. It eh, just I wouldn't say what, that. Okay. It, it sprinkled. It did LA like rain. It wasn't torrential, but like we, that's we get that week of rain a year. Yeah. And it, and it finally did that. And I just stood out on my roof <laughs> of my apartment and just I was pissed. Allowed myself to be rained on. Mm. It was great. Um, but yeah, I'm always burning alive out here. And so to be in a giant blue refrigerator was very nice. Um, tying into things that we talked about before I left, there were no Mr. Mimes. Ah. Uh, but it was a nest for drowsies, which being a sleep center, 
I was yes. like, there's no way any of these people are talking to anyone from like Niantic or anything yeah. like that. It, like it has to be chance that it worked out that way, but it was like one of the most brilliant things. I caught that's, a drowsy like every hour on the hour. Yeah, I've I've heard from people that because early on, I feel like we may have talked about it on the show. But yeah, I've questioned it myself. Was like, what is it like to live in other states or cities that aren't near water like we are? And right. I, it seems that that is the the trade off is that there are a lot of drowsies and hypnos, ghastlies. Yeah, everywhere else. Yeah, that, you, which are. Fuck, we're scarce around here. Yeah. You are lucky to find them. I I live near a park, and I'm sort of like, oh, what could be the nest here? And I think it's an Eevee nest, um, but it sure feels like a Pidgey Radita nest, which is pretty par for the course yeah. with uh, Pokemon Go. Have you have you downloaded any of the, the other apps that are the radar apps? No. I've been using those quite Dude, a bit. Dude, I was about to see. kick the habit. I was about to, and now you're telling me there's more. There's radar there's go well they're, none of them are they're, none of them are official uh they're not like illegal but they're people would say cheating i don't think of it as cheating i think of it as a tool uh <laughs> i don't it's not i use go radar and is it like a google maps view and you just zoom in and see where nests are or mm, no it's more of like uh did I just come up with what, a brilliant idea of finding nests it was well, it, it's kind of that in yeah? that okay you can't put something in. So th- I like that because that's how you set people up for traps. You're yeah. Like, hey, there's a dragonite here. And yeah. I'm fucking, you know, whatever when they get here. Right. But um, you look at it and it'll tell you like, oh shit, a Snorlax just spawned, you know, mm. over here, you've got 15 minutes. And it, Interesting. it does that. And I like it for that. It's extremely useful in Santa Monica because yeah, everyone there is using it. And so. there's all sorts of Pokemon that pop up. Yeah. And... It's- it's so if you were accurate. if you were stopping to catch them all, then which I mean is the purpose of Pokemon. Mm-hmm. It's in the slogan. Um, then you you, can can, you wouldn't get out. to that one. Yeah, like I have it set up to like only show me ones that I want. Yeah. Um, oh, Pokemon goes. I finally all, caught a Snorlax. All consuming. Really? Yeah. I would. I am proud of you. I am. They've I been. Say that. They've been spawning like crazy recently. Have they? Mm, I just. I'm. I. I I did delete one game on my app that, you know what? I don't miss it. Yeah. And Pokemon Go is not on the chopping block, but I've curbed my usage of it. Yeah. Because I was taking a lot of strolls through the park late at night trying to get that, trying to chase that unicorn. Yeah. Um. But to finish to, to finish the England saga, basically, um, I they flew us out business class, and we looked at the flights, like how much that would cost if we tried to buy it. Now it was like ten grand for each of us. That's insane. That's what it cost to be in. And like I liked business class. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but I, I'm not going to shell out that money. That was it was insane how much it cost. I don't have that. Um, no, <laughs> but man, the movie se- selection was great. They like fed me every time I need. Like when I had a thought. You know, I could go for some food right now. It was like the trolley appeared. Um, and then um, and then they took us on a tour of Windsor Castle. So if it, if it just so happens you are in England and you're listening to us um, and you know what in- Windsor Castle is or if you're a history buff, it was about as cool as I think anyone who could pitch it to me was. There was. We were walking through the castle. This is one of the Queen's many properties. And... Uh, 
And it was just interesting because to think back to those times, they had a room that was basically where they flexed like what power they had. And it was like, they had a sword on every part of the wall. They had knights. They had like, Mm. they had shields, axes. It was just the armory. And they did it right before you went into the waiting room before the waiting room to see the queen. It was, it was pretty, it was pretty cool. I was almost going to, expect you to say it's the room where they flex and it's just a room full of mirrors so that they can flex in the mirrors and be like oh i mean that, like there were gym. mirrors there i think <laughs> but yeah just just do like sort of fisty cuff like flexing at yourself yeah. um no it was uh it was a, it was a good time and everyone's like it's funny because whenever i had to tell because i've told a lot of people they're like wait you're going to england why or is it, oh you just win what's what's a there was no short way to really tell this story because anytime we'd give an answer, it would like beg three more questions. Yeah. Um, because I think like us to a certain point, we were just like, when does this turn into a deal that doesn't sound great? And like, and I think even to the moment where like we went to go pick, pick up our check, which was pretty significant for me, for somebody who's like an actor, podcaster, creative type that when that got handed to me, I went, I haven't had this much money since when I first moved out here. Damn. I forgot that there was a check part to this. Yeah, there was. There was. And and it almost just, like, now everyone goes, would you do it again? Would you take the pill and things like that? And, like, if you're listening to this and this sounds sketchy, please tweet at me or do something. But (laughs) they're, like, basically the pill is a... Is a uh, synthetic melatonin that basically I think well I, sh- I shouldn't say think I should know all this and like I'm sure there's gonna be a briefing they were like oh yeah if we ask you back it wouldn't even be till January but um but that's what the and they're already advertising for it so it was a weird way in which I was like uh, similar to when I just sold my car which you'll hear about once we approach the neck of uh, the episode but. Basically, my car completely died. I thought it was going to do it before I left, and I was just said all the prayers that I could that it wouldn't, that once I came into money, um, and I felt really pissed off because I was like, ah, it's like the second that I have some money, it's immediately, car. yeah, goes to a car. And, and at first I was like, this sucks, but then I felt like, honestly, it was the universe relegating my funds for me of like, look, dude, let's be honest. You would have driven that thing till it rusted out on you on the freeway and you'd be dead where you have money now we're forcing you to just take the money put it towards an off-lease car make some payments and drive safely for god's sakes um so that's That's, how i'm walking away from it feeling of like it's pretty yeah pretty (laughs) sour grapes you in the government in the government because i have to i'm w9 so i have to pay taxes throughout the year W nine? How did you walk into that? That's just the way that I am employed. Mm. Like I don't get my checks cashed, which is I mean my checks cashed. I don't get my checks taxed. I don't I'm sure it's fine that I'm saying this. Uh but I have to pay taxes every three months and it's not good. It's never a nice have you, it's never a nice feeling. That does suck. Yeah. Wait, is that that's just because of how you were employed? That wasn't because of anything you did or no. anything. Yeah. No. Strange. Yeah, I now now that I no longer w- work here, everything that I do is uh independent contract work. Yeah. So, I have to save up or I have to just be like 
I'll bite that bullet like next year, um, which I want to do the former. I don't want to like just work. Oh, I'll just worry about it now that it's looking me in the face. But it is weird to be at a level of adulting now that I'm looking forward to the new year so that I can be like my new year's resolution. No, what the fuck I'm doing about my taxes before April 15th or April 10th. You know what I mean? Like start working on it the next day of like, do I have all this shit in order? Like, what do I need to save? Start working and do that. You got to go to target and get yourself a filer. Boom. There we go. Files. Yeah. You got a $10 box that holds files in it. I'm going, uh, I'll follow, I'll follow through on that before I'll take some birthday money and go to that (laughs) or England money. But yeah, basically the short of that is, uh, you will, you will, will, I'll tell you about it like at the other portion of the episode, but it eventually led to me doing the most frugal thing I could of hunting down where to take it to a scrapyard because it was past the point of trying to put it up on Craigslist, even though I had two bids the day after I sold, but I had nothing for like three days of like different posts before that. Um, it led to me having a shakedown basically. With the tow, with the tow guy, he basically knew that the car that I was going to junk it for was worth more than that. So he's trying to intercept my car before it got to the junkyard, and then go back on the deal that he said. So he's like, "Yeah, but I got to take my cut too, right? Mm. I got to take my cut and like try to reduce the price that he said that he would buy it outright for." Um, so that's why it felt yucky, dirty. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of that saga. But being that this is a comics podcast. That nerdy things happen in the world. We're here to talk to you about that. Some of our own things, some of the things that are just happening in the world. Um, so let us start off first with one thing you mentioned straight away, which is the Meltology two-year anniversary. Wow, 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 wow! It's been two years since our very first Meltology. Crazy. Crazy. Uh, I wanted to have Chuck on, but then real, I was like, oh wait, that's next week. Yeah. So. Well, the day you're listening to this, hopefully you're listening to it in a timely manner when we put mm-hmm. it out. It will be this coming Tuesday. This coming Tuesday. Yes. The uh, uh, September 20th. September 20th. September 20th uh, is the two-year anniversary. Seven? At seven, yes. 7 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. here at Meltdown Comics. 7522 West Sunset Boulevard. Um, you'll follow Meltology at Melt underscore Thology. Um, also follow Chuck Kerr. At Chuck K E R R. Remember to bring three dollars um, when you come. That is for you come, the copy. You draw your page of whatever you'd like, submit it, and then next month you'll have a zine with your art and everyone else's art, and it'll be awesome. There's a couple of hashtags too on the. Basically, I'm looking at Instagram here, and uh, uh, it says hashtag Let's Draw, hashtag Draw Comics, Make Friends. That's true. Which feels like a pretty good slogan for Meltology. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah. I'm not 100% sure on what the details are, but there will be shirts. Okay. For cool. For people to buy. Very nice. Very nice. Also, uh, coming up here at Meltdown Comics, we have the Spooky Art Show, which is basically what you can surmise uh halloween is fast approaching yeah it is and um we are going to hit you with that uh right in the middle of the month october 15th um with some very cool creepy uh spooky art um in the back nerd melt showroom 
Is it in the showroom or is it in the new art space? Oh, it, uh, sure. that's true. Uh, I'm, I'm, I myself am getting used to the new art space that we yes. have added, uh, formerly Fats uh, video game area where sometimes people just camped out and never bought anything. And just um, played video games. Yeah, and just played video games like Star Fox 64. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> myself. Um, basically, uh, that, art, that whole space is now an art space. And uh, on that same day, October uh, 15th, we will also be celebrating our 23rd anniversary of Meltdown Comics. The 20, the birthday, the 23rd birthday. No one loves you when you're 23, um, <laughs> but that's not true because everyone uh, showing up on that day should love us. Yeah, that's insane. I was one years old when Meltdown opened. Yeah, yep, and it was funny because. The second that Francisco told me that and said, hey, make sure you mention that, um, I just thought back, like, just yesterday, it feels like the joke I was making was, yes, the 21st anniversary, now she can officially drink, basically. And now, here we are at the 23rd. Yeah, and then... Nobody gives a shit about 22. Exactly. (laughs) And then, then, well, sure. Uh, But Francisco pointed to the wall um, where next to the television screen that always gives the... uh, uh, Twitter feed. If you walk in in the next couple of days or however long it's up, uh, the poster celebrating the thirteenth uh, anniversary, one full decade ago. The art was done by Mr. Felipe Smith, yeah, who comes in here all of the time. He's one of the raddest dudes that will come in here. Uh, writer of Robbie Ray's Ghost Ghostbuster. Oh my God, <laughs> Ghostbuster. Robbie Ray's uh, Ghost Rider, Ghost Rider, which is. This season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yes, just got picked up. So if you've been seeing the advertisements, uh, the the character that, that we've known about for a little while is now making a debut in the Marvel technically cinematic universe, even though it's on TV. Um, and that is a new Ghost Rider. So don't think Nick Cage, because that's a wholly, is completely different <laughs> thing. And Johnny Blaze, um, this is Robbie Reyes. And he, that, that arc... Where he's introduced, yeah, is such a good arc, and it and it came at a time where um, Marvel was was putting a lot of their uh, their heroes, their anti heroes, into L.A. at the same time. Yeah. Um, like when I first started here, it was kind of almost a way for me to be informed about Los Angeles was living in the space and then having comics reflect that um, because Ghost Rider was placed in East. Los Angeles, and then um, Punisher at the same time yeah. came to Los Angeles. So it was a really kind of cool time, and uh, and uh, so I recommend reading uh, Robbie Reyes' Ghost Rider. Go pick uh, it up. Yep, and uh, the suit looks like it does in the comics. Yeah, um, He's got the, car. the Hell Charger looks awesome, and Felipe was pretty excited about that. So definitely pick up that title. Um, we also have a new uh, part of the D&D Meltdown programming here. So if you love D&D, you want to play some D&D here at Meltdown, there's a, a very large group of people that do that. They still do that on Sunday mornings um, and always appreciate whenever the Lord of the Rings soundtrack is put on for them. I always have that had that to uh, greet them, and they were like, they just lost their shit whenever that played while they were playing. Uh, they have a new announcement that uh, they are also doing games uh on thursday evenings yeah so that is a all the more the merrier um it's very fascinating because i feel like so many people 
Uh, I don't know if he. I don't know if I can credit him for ushering it in. I really think he helped. But once Dan Harmon started playing D and D, yeah, and his own sort of you know gravitas and bringing it to a demographic that didn't really know D and D or anything about it. Now on CISO, he has an animated, um, basically him playing D and D and all the recordings of that. Um, are now getting animated, so it's, yeah. it's almost like I, I feel like I'm watching like a like at a friend say like watch the Nerdist like watch our, you know things here that the mother company uh, does uh, they do a D and D as well. It just feels like a lot of people are now like I want to play D and D. The people that played then are now in power and being like, look, it's still great. It's, yeah, and it is. It's still a fun game. Mm-hmm. I think people are often put off by it though because it's such an investment. Like not not financially, yeah, you can't, but with you can't time. walk away from the story. That's like defeats. You can't walk away, but it also takes a long time to get there. And right. to like like just just starting the game is hard because yeah. with developing your character and all that. Yeah. But it is a truly rewarding experience. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can imagine. Um, so if you love D and D, you now have a choice between Sunday mornings and Thursday evenings. Uh, go ahead. You just did a. You did. What, what do you got to say? Oh no, nothing. No. Oh, okay. Um. So yeah. Yes. What 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 happened? Do you have anything before we dive into nerdy news? Um. Or do you want to uh, talk about? Nerd? You can kick off one of the uh, things that you heard. Halloween melt, October twenty second. Halloween melt. To be very spooky. Yeah, we had one last year, and I decorated up the theater, and that was fun. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna do that again. Zines on zines on zines. Zines. Trying to get all the zines. zines I can. Zippity zap zip zines. Zippity zappity zini. Uh, okay, so shall we dive into nerdy nerdy news news? Okay. All right. Because we become fetishized ourselves with just talking about ASMR, uh, I feel like, you know, it, it, now they're like, I haven't watched, I maybe have watched one on my phone that you guys sent me. Now they're popping up everywhere. There's an ASMR for anything. And they're like, there was basically like a true. Australian girl who she never showed her eyes. It was all about the mouth. It was like, there's some, I don't know. I would want to see what Freud would have to say about this. She's like, <laughs> I'm not going to try an Australian accent, but she was basically like, I'm going to try eating chocolate now and hear that against, um, she drank like soda or something. I was I don't know. ASMR. I just, I still just don't get it. Whatever gives you an erection, I suppose. Um, so you know, that's always the joke. And I, I, I get it. And I was like, but I, I thought like, no, it's not that until I saw videos that are like yeah. explicit, explicitly like trying to turn you. Yeah. 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 Like, They're ah. trying to like turn you on. Now it's not a joke anymore. Yeah. Now it's no, just a fact. No. Yeah. Now they, it's like, oh, you're too on the nose now. Um, <laughs> I will say this, like if we're, if we're going into kinks, there's a weird thing. There's like a, whenever I go into like get measured for like a, like a suit jacket or like a, like a something. It doesn't matter who's measuring me or what. I get chills up my back because I can't see them. They usually they're rarely doing it in front of you. It's all like, oh, let's, and it's just weird. I'm like, there's a strange sensation that takes over me, and I'm I'm okay with admitting that on the air. I just am. Doesn't matter if it's a guy tailor, if it's a lady. Usually, it's an old woman, and I would never even come close to them on the street. But there's something about 
once they it break out a you know Taylor's tape measure, <laughs> something. It's strange. I always feel like they're gonna be like, let's measure this big boy. It's always what I feel, and it's never said aloud, and I don't get why. It's never gone to that territory. Uh, in nerdy news, we have a death stroke in the DC extended universe. Yes, we do. Who is this death stroke? I'd never know how to pronounce his last name. <laughs> Joe Manganiello. Man. Man. It's Manganiello. Yep. Okay. Or Manganiello. Because I'm going with your first one. All right. Because you said it better. I feel than like I, I've heard I, people say Manganiello. I'm usually good at pronouncing things, and like Mangello sounds better. Yeah. I, yep. I see it. He's now. my Mangello. He's my Mangello. That's why he's in uh, Magic Mike Mangello. Yeah. Um. But he is Deathstroke. And it's funny because a lot of people had been doing like fan art, and I think there's like I think there's a way in which maybe Warner Brothers and DC are starting to listen to the fans. You know, it I seems to be. The think route. they're starting to because everyone was stoked. And the thing, uh, basically, if you aren't caught up, if you have an aversion to social media, um, uh, basically. There was just one day out of the blue, Ben Affleck just posts a video uh, showing Deathstroke, showing the monitor of them filming Deathstroke, and it looked really badass. Is he going to be? What uh, did they say? What, what is he going to be? I don't think they. What I was. I don't sure think on. they want to say. Oh, uh, there might have been some confirmation of um, of Batman him in the solo. solo Batman film. But are they sure. filming that? Already? But yeah, that's the like thing test? is, I don't know. I don't. I don't know that one. I. He could be. I I hope that wouldn't be the reveal in uh, uh, like a post credit reveal um, uh, uh, um, for uh, Justice League because I wouldn't want to see that before it happens. But mm-hmm. uh, whenever it happens, I'm sure I'm still going to be really excited. And he does look great. And it, and it's funny because everyone took that as a reminder to. I think it's probably because how good they made how good the suit looks. Was it made it feel like it was very tactical Deathstroke, and everyone immediately posted the cinematic to Arkham Origins, where Batman and Deathstroke fight each other, and it oh God, that's such a good. Sometimes the cin- it's like they pour all the money into making that cinematic look good, and then you play the game, and it's like mm, this was pretty. But oh my God, it had such a good cinematic. I credit. I think it's the game that's like really brought. Batman was already popular, yeah. But I feel like there was that, like a, like a, what is it called? The uh, a moat. There was like a moat to the Batman castle for right. people that didn't read comics because yeah, it was yeah, either yeah. comic books, the animated TV show, which is not on TV, right, or, or the, the movies, movie. which are great but yeah. limited to what's there, right. And so the video game was like, hey, here, learn more Batman and learn about yeah. all these villains and yeah. really get to know these villains. And yeah. now that's why, like... I That's basically when Dark Knight Rises was done. I th- we had Arkham City by then. I think We so. did. We had Arkham City by then. And I, I was sort of like, whatever the next film's going to be, it's going to be like the video game. Yeah. yeah because cool. it is just such a way of, of presenting Arkham, presenting Batman, that is... If if we had the perfect like understanding of a filmic Batman, we haven't yet had a film comic book Batman. Mm-hmm. I don't think. I think Burton did a fantastic job, but he went in such a specific direction. Um, 
in a similar capacity to Nolan, just not the similar uh, presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's not, it still wasn't quite the comics. Comics still kind of like took a few arcs where they were like, "There you go, like that's like Burton's Batman." But with, with the video games, felt like the comic, which hopefully will inspire the film. Mm-hmm. And then they just released a picture of Batman in tactical. Batman or B- Batfleck in uh, tactical Batman armor, and everyone was making the comparison that it looks very similar to Night Owl in uh, Watchmen, the way they did his costume, mm. um, and uh, that's mainly because he has sunglasses, he has like visor glasses, goggles uh, in it. Um, Batman does, uh, and and hence uh, all of the hashtags. I wear my sunglasses at night. Um, we watched before the episode started the Doctor Strange featurette. Yes. And it gave some, uh, not like greater insight into the story, but enough to sort of make me feel feel comfortable with this. Because this was the most enigmatic. This was the most like, I really just at this point don't know what to expect too much. Me neither. But I, it's a, it was the same thing with Ant-Man where I was like, I know... I I know the basic story of this hero, and that's what I can expect from this movie. But f- after that, I I don't know. Go take me wherever you yeah. want to go. Like um, I know he has to have the issue with his hands. He has to do the accident. Mm-hmm. He has to go see the one. After that, take I don't. And there was that's some, a surprise. Uh, there was some questioning who uh, I can never pronounce uh, his name. M- Chip. M- well, Chip. Oh, I thought you were gonna say Michael. Mac- no, or I don't know how to say his name um, either. Michael Madsen. Michael or, Madsen. Um, is it Michael or Mads? No, Mads Mickelson. Mads. Wow. See? God damn. Yeah. Well, he's yeah. got that tongue twister name. Yeah. That's not my fault. Yeah. It's on him. <laughs> That's on his parents. Jeez. Mads Mickelson. Um, yeah, he looks great. Mm-hmm. And and that was probably the thing that most the featurette did for me was they're not saying anything about him in the featurette. They were like. These are people like Doctor Strange yeah. who have visited the other side and are like, we need the commingling of the other side and, you know, human reality. We need that n- not divide. We need it to bleed yeah. together. And it, and they promise that, not they meaning uh, Mads Mikkelsen, but the um, people doing the featurette um, said that it's not a good thing if these, there's a reason why there is a division. Yeah. So uh, it's also very difficult. Maybe it's just me. It's difficult for me, at least, to tell who these actors are supposed to be without them saying their names because they're not like they're not in a traditional hero costume that right. would be like, oh, that's Daredevil. That's clearly Daredevil. Right. These are all just guys in robes. Yeah, especially when and, isn't and, the one? Um, well, like what the exception? Does she? Yeah, she doesn't. This is I. I'm trying to remember if they make her look like what we've seen on the page. I think that was like a liberty. Didn't think, they take? I think she's just like bald. Yeah. And yeah. Okay. I know people are upset because she's white. What is she? Oh, oh, oh okay. Yeah. She is. She is supposed to be Asian. Yeah. Yeah. But also, I feel like that's. I feel like that's why people cast. Um, oh my God, what's her name? Uh. The one. What what's that actress's name? Oh, well, I feel like they cast her because she's so um androgynous. Yes. Yeah. And that's I feel like that fits that character. Yeah. Or it she... could fit this character mm-hmm. in this universe. 
um, androgynous. Yeah. It, you know, and it's funny, like, when was Civil War? That was, like, May? I think so. And then we... We have anything else? For, for Marvel Doctor Studios? Things? Yeah. It it weirdly feels like a good placement for mm. it. I, like I, I Luke Cage is also coming yeah. soon. Which, that's to be excited if you like the Marvel Universe. Mm. If you're like myself, and you at least feel like... Ah, somebody acknowledge like what? Just I need I need someone to level with me. I finally found not through seeking, but just something that came up. There's uh, I, one of the main things that I watch anymore is uh, film essays, video essays on YouTube, and there's two very particular um, ones that I watch. I hope that one day I get a chance. We get a chance to talk to these guys. Um, the first is Nerd Writer. Um, he's a very fantastic like. He just breaks down so many things that I was like, I would like to hear his take on this, that I am a fan of this p- piece of art, this film, this uh, a number of things. He has a really good one on saying why he really loves The Prisoner of Azkaban and all of the Harry Potter movies. Um, I mean, that is the best one. It It's really good. <laughs> it's really, really good. I'm a, also a fan of Order of the Phoenix, but I understand every reason why someone would love Prisoner of Azkaban. Um I just love Order of Phoenix because it took a thousand page plus page book that didn't really need to be pared it down to what it exactly needed to be. Whereas all of the other films, even for the shorter books, like the films, you're like, ah, they skipped out on this part. I love that part. You know what I mean? Like she did such a good job of, of making the most of her page count that uh, it was a little longer form than a film. So all of the films, I felt like there was some sacrifice happening, whereas Order of the Phoenix, they actually got the mark. But um, Nerdwriter, uh, he, he explains a lot of things. Um, that uh, he, he introduces me to a lot of works of, of, of I, like, like poets that I maybe have read once, but he's kind of like, this is why you should keep reading them, because this happens. He had a really great... Uh, video on Bon Iver um, talking about why his music is is why he loves Bon Iver's music and I was like oh yeah these are all the things that I think about but it's never as uh, you know eloquent or as articulate as he's saying there's also another one called Every Frame a Painting that mostly always focuses on uh, on film and um, specific things like what is Fincher's style what are mm. these different ones they had a fascinating um, video that just came out um, about um, the Marvel Symphonic Universe, talking about the music, and it opens by saying, "Can you do the Star Wars? Any of the Star Wars themes?" And all these people start singing the Star Wars themes. Can you do James Bond? Can you do Harry Potter? And every everyone knows them. And then they get asked, "Can you do any of the Marvel movies?" And everyone's like stuck or very close to like remembering the tune. I feel like the first thought would be Guardians. But they, none of but, the pop songs, yeah. the like scores. Yeah. And everyone can't and I, and my roommate was like, "Well, that's not fair cuz that's recent and um it's such a big filmic universe that that's not fair." I was like, "Well, that's you should probably Harry Potter was. Yeah, yeah, I was like and he's like, "Yeah, but it's contained. These this is like overarching. This has a lot of Yeah, and I I didn't think he was right for thinking that, but I was fascinated how I was trying. I was I was thinking like, no, 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 I've seen enough. I've seen Avengers and I thought I could remember the Avengers score. 
I couldn't do it. And yeah. then, but the reason I ha- I had no idea why it was that it was so forgettable was because uh, a number of the Marvel films use temp tracks. So they take a score from some other film and apply it to a cut. And then they ask somebody to come in and basically give almost the same, make it feel like the same. So it is familiar when you're sat there listening to it, but you don't walk away being like, oh, this... And they go back to the original Iron Man and there's a track where uh, he's basically testing out his gear. And the scene almost works better when you take away the music because the music Mm. is so nothing. There's no... It's like potato chip. Not even potato chip. Just like a... um, And it made me go, okay, like, so Sonic... Like, what I've been saying... What I I felt about Marvel, it's like, here are some facts. Like, here's some examples. And then he does a master cut of just the whole industry as a whole ripping each other off. Mm -hmm. And and what's weird is, like, some of the more recognizable people... um, John Williams. John Williams. Surprisingly, no one tried to... Like, in the examples he was giving, there wasn't as many people trying to rip them off as you'd think there would be in the examples uh, he John was giving. Williams? Yeah. Well, I feel like... you. you it's almost because you can't do it. Yeah, but also, he... I mean, this is just my opinion. He rips himself off. He, or, oh, he, he just has a, a very distinct sound that, yeah. like... Because there... I think it was... Uh, Watching Harry Potter because he did those soundtracks, right? Right. That I was well, listening. And yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. This, John Williams. I was like, wait, this sounds like Star Wars. This is oh, only really? slightly off of Star Wars. Really? Yeah, that's funny. Uh, or just like, like you're really relying on this particular instrument that is very heavy in this other song. Yeah, he likes hot. Let's see, John Williams. There's somebody that's much more, um, much more versed in like yeah, musical. Like that's a whole other but world. but I I always think <laughs> of him as like really high horns. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, uh, Hans Zimmer. Yeah, Hans Zimmer. Well, that was the person that was getting ripped off most was Hans Zimmer. And uh, it seemed like particularly uh, Inception. A lot of people were taking from Inception. The biggest biggest franchise to rip off other scores was Transformers. Transformers was stealing from, like, everything. But there's also, like... Quentin Tarantino, who like very openly does that, like he takes yeah, but, but he's, he's almost also... he's doing it to such a degree where yes, he is being open about it a hundred percent. But he's such but, a fan, and like, he's doing he's doing the tracks like yeah. he's like I found this. It's no one else could, no one else had a high quality of it, so I recorded my record recording just because I loved where it popped in certain places, yeah. and then put it into I think Django Unchained. So that's I that's completely different, and and then it cuts to a round table of all of the composers talking about it and how it is kind of the death of their experience. But because Hollywood's like, we gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta go, and we're filming at the same time, you need or to develop we can't something. John Williams, right? This other guy. And what's weird is Danny Elfman's like one that's was talking about like I hate when you know I have to work with a a track. And there's and and he like I was like oh you go Danny Elfman because he was like explaining it and he's like you know I'm sure some of the Tim Burton like Tim would be like no like build it be there with us I'll be inspired by your music and stuff like that and then there was one where I think it was the example of somebody having Danny Elfman um, do a do a track do a temp track mm. uh, because then they cut to they cut to uh, Danny Elfman very similar to. I forget what the track was. Uh, but then um, 
the one the uh, uh, the one thing from the video. Um, I definitely recommend watching it. But there was one I was sort of like oh was uh, uh, almost all the music in three hundred was mm. sampled was temp tracked from Titus Andronicus. Really? Yeah, and huh. and so uh, Warner Brothers kind of had a Warner Brothers had to like basically issue a statement saying. We've worked with the composer um, that was for Titus, Titus Andronicus. Um, he he has done he's done a number of like our films, and we consider him a great collaborator, and we will continue to work with him in the future. And we apologize for the similar nature, you know. And that's the thing is, I feel like Warner Brothers. I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of dirt that somebody could sit and oh, let me tell you about <laughs> Warner Brothers. But I feel like they own up to so much shit they probably don't need to that they they do that. Um, they they actually go the the extra mile to apologize for that stuff. That I just there's a number of other studios that get away with so much shit and they don't call themselves out on it. So yeah. I'm always gonna advocate for Warner Brothers till the end. Um, but yeah, that that's uh that's another thing that I just happened to watch when we were talking about Marvel was um their sound basically. Uh-huh. Um, that's pretty I'm, much all I have. I'm, I'm trying to think because they're. I want to say they're villains that have their own themes, and I think that's a little bit why. It, in but Marvel? I'm also trying to think: am I thinking of Marvel movies, or am I thinking of something else? Because there are villains that I watch in these movies, and like I like his theme because they play it whenever he's on screen. Yeah. But so many different characters have themes that none of them are like. Oh, I'm constantly hearing right. Captain's theme. Some of them were even. I mean, think of the Joker. His was just like one sustained note in mm. Dark Knight, and but some uh, like a. Oh, fuck, I think it was Bane like, had his own. Scarlet Witch had one that I liked. That oh, was really? Just, uh, Did she have like yeah. a ru- like Russian sounding? Yeah. Or well, early on when she was scary, mm-hmm. they had like that scary kind of like crackling weird noise. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, Bane had his own, like Bane had the Daisy Daisy Basara chance. Mm-hmm. That was like, yeah, like Hans Zimmer's like made an influence. The only thing that I was like, I mean, we don't need to bash Batman for Superman anymore, but it was, it was kind of like, there's the, there's the notes. There's just the notes. Of there's Luther. a moment. Well, Lex Luthor had really I, yeah, I odd his. and crazy. Yeah. I liked his. It was really weird. It made me feel very unsettled. Mm-hmm. Um, Lex Luthor had a really good one, but there's the... When they're basically anytime they're like squaring off with each other, it's like ba 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 ba. It's just like one note change. Um, that was the least graceful, but it was the most like let's just go the full Monty. Let's <laughs> let's make it be that obvious. Um, but his score for Man of Steel and when it came back in Batman vs Superman, I, I love that a hundred times more than the John Williams. I think Superman is probably one of the weakest John Williams scores. They always excite me, and like I don't know if it just feels like the most dated one, because my because my definition of Superman was so at a different point. Like when I when I was I was being introduced to well I was being introduced to Lois and Clark uh, on TV, but mainly the comics, you know, and it just felt like a different Superman from yeah. that time um, in the nineties. And uh, so I I think it is the weakest track, but Hans Zimmer's score, I mean that makes me feel like i can fly it's so it's so well done um and i can do that i i don't know if man of steel was at such a cultural level of uh you know like 
I, I can say with certainty that it wasn't um, with Star Wars and things like that. But to the people that really love DC, I'm pretty sure everyone can sing along to uh, the Man of Steel score because it's just like once once it gets stuck in your head, it's just it, I I think it's so inspiring that um, it just makes me like want to replicate it. You know, hmm. um, do you want to just real quick rapid fire? These, yes, these yes. these. Well, I guess my pick and yep. your picks. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Uh, my pick is Doom Patrol, number one, from DC's new Young it's Animal. about time we were waiting on that, right? Yeah. Like, uh, that was the highly anticipated one? Uh, yes, but also, I, 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 yes, but I feel like it also depends on who you are. Because on, yeah, yeah. If, you, if you know, you know, DC's Young Animal is headed by Gerard Way. Exactly. Ex My Chemical Romance, and a, just a straight-up great writer. He is writing Doom Patrol and uh, I think two of the other Young Animal books. Okay, which I don't quite remember at the moment, but so hard way. You you showed me this issue and there's something straight away. It's very unique. Yes, about I like this it a lot. It's a big, just a very plain white cover with a picture of a. It's a falafel wrap, right? I'm not entirely sure. You make that call, because culturally, I'm so white, I'm going to offend someone, so you make that call. I'm going to say it's definitely not a burrito, because it's No, it's it's not wrapped up completely. Yeah. Uh, It looks... It's either either a falafel or a tapas, and that's it. That's all I'm saying. But (laughs) the picture of that Uh is a sticker that you peel off the cover. Is it the whole, or is it just the burrito portion? Just Oh, no, yeah, it's the whole with the wrapper. It's the whole? That's so cool. Uh, and I believe it's a like a picture of space underneath. Not to I'm when sorry you to peel ruin, it off. Yeah, sorry to ruin oh, the surprise. Cool. But I wonder if that's a statement on um, the whole of existence is just a tapas slash falafel. <laughs> yeah, probably. But definitely go pick it up because I can tell you already it's going to be great. Uh, I also kept it in the DC wheelhouse. I, I basically had to play a catch-up session since I was so far behind and almost everything I grabbed was DC. And uh, if you're a Green Lantern fan like I am, um, I am always going to talk about... I'm always going to talk about it. I'm always going to try and sell it, basically. But uh, one thing I will admit is that I would read Green Lantern titles and I would read them if Hal was not in it, but I would read Green Lantern proper no matter what. But I, it always took me a second to read Green Lantern Core, and it was all I always felt because it was so the attention was always so fractured because we're talking about so many people, and they were usually lesser known, yeah. and so I never really liked it. But now that we have Simon Baz and Jessica Cruz, our first. Um, uh, Muslim American Green Lantern um, and hero um, in the DC universe, and um, and our first female, and she is uh, Hispanic. Uh, th- that's really cool, and I do want them at the forefront. So I love that the Green Lanterns title features them. Uh, but I, I this week I realized, oh, see, this is what I needed was um, the the appropriate title right now is Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps. Mm-hmm. And so now I feel like there's a perfect balance in my Green Lantern reading of him being at the center of the Green Lantern core and the Green Lanterns we're supposed to be focusing on right now are the two newest, mm-hmm. the two rookies. And it's at a, such a point of diversity right now that I'm excited about. So I feel like at a really good equilibrium between 
who is in the Green Lantern of Earth moniker and who is at sort of the head of the Green Lantern Corps. And it honestly makes me care more about Jon Stewart right now because uh, he, for the longest time, was sort of who is the spearhead of the Green Lantern Corps books for so long. Um, and it just feels like a really good time to be reading these again. And this comes at a time when I am going to be suiting up as Green Lantern again next week. So I won't be able to join on the podcast. So we'll we'll find somebody. But uh, I will be going to the uh, Washington State Fair. For the longest time that I've I've been suited up as Green Lantern for one event, I'll be there for a full week. So it'll be it'll be really exciting. And and uh Batman and Wonder Woman have already gone um and they uh told me that it's really awesome. And I've never been to Washington, so I'm looking so forward to seeing the state and I'll like get a really good taste of the state, basically. Um and uh get to do it sitting up as Green Lantern. So I'll have some things to read, some really good books. Definitely check out this week's Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Core. Awesome. And now we have the portion of the episode where we talk to a really cool guest. I feel like we got to this is now the base of the neck. Yeah, the we're we're kind of in the thorax. Yeah. We're in the yeah, yeah, yeah. we're in the fourth chakra, basically <laughs> the heart of things. And uh we will take it away with Mr. Jeffrey Golden of Devastator, of Press. Devastator Press. And uh, I've come from LA to Salt Lake and somewhere in uh Arizona. I think it was Arizona. No, it's a little further. Anyway, um car uh starts going and before i can even pull over it's just plunk i pull over and uh turns out the the oil light didn't go on in the car but apparently it was low on oil and uh the car was completely toast it was because of the engine gears like were grinding were grinding and that was it game over yeah and that was i was, was stranded in the middle of nowhere we had to rent a rent a car just to get to salt lake and then rent a car back from salt lake and uh was it, it was a nice horrible. one uh it was two it was a minivan there, there was uh, we were in this one horse town and there was like the only thing they had was a really expensive to rent minivan and it really? was horrible yeah it was just it was either that or the horse right? it was that or a horse basically <laughs> mm. it was like god damn it see that a- I, the problems i just had they couldn't they were like, holy cow, we cannot even come close to fixing his car. Right. That's how like rusted the undercarriage is. But for some reason, they were still treating me really nice because they, I think they just felt like, oh, we can't do our job with him. Right. Uh, here, here, let's just distract him with the 2017 Lincoln. <laughs> Lincoln that's just like <laughs> made me feel like royalty. So that's funny. That so, was kind of nice. So that's what you're you're renting. You're you're using that. Until... I was using that. I ended up having to give it back because it was it was just the strangest thing because they. Uh, they were like, we, you need to tow it because this just shouldn't be on the like road at all. Right. It's a liability to you, to everyone. So just like to get get it out of here, please. So I I had the biggest trouble trying to find a tow company that would tow it that wouldn't cost ba- wouldn't wouldn't cost the amount to basically scrap it. So are that you a, I would are make you a AAA. Uh, member? I did, but the thing about AAA is that they will not tow it to. A junkyard. Really? Oh. They won't tow it. Yeah, I had to. I, I basically, I was being very nice to them and they were being nice to me. And I was like, I feel like this is just verbiage at this point. Right. You know what I mean? Like, uh, this is closer 
this scrapyard is closer than my actual residence. Right. Or to even really an auto body like shop for that matter. And I was like, can't we just, you know, I was trying to like butter him up and be like, you guys are being great. I feel like this is just words. You can like make this happen, right? And they Could were like, you have no, I've gotten them to tow it to like someplace that's really close to And then try and, and do that. The business I mean, next door. Yeah, maybe, maybe, but I was just like, oh, I don't want to do this. So then, long story short, the, the, I basically contact the the junkyard that's going to junk it. Right. Um, this junkyard knew what they were doing because they were like, go to the DMV, get a junk slip, which I would advise anyone that's like thinking about doing that. Don't really give your title. Anywhere that's going to junk it right. will be happy with just seeing the receipt saying, this has been formally taken out of the system and right. I can now do whatever I want to it. Anyone that's like, no, no, no I need the title Duh. is <laughs> probably still looking to maybe try and do something. Right, resell it. Yeah, yeah. Do, do something. Um, so I, I did. I went to the DMV. That was a whole experience. Okay. But the, the guy that was towing it to take it to the recycling, he was the friend of the friend of the owner of the recycling that does the towing. And this is just another towing buddy that he knew. Right. So he shows up and he's being really nice to me and things like that. We get my car on there and he's like, so uh, how am I going to get my cut? And I'm like, uh, well, we'll figure that out when we get Duh. it to the destination <laughs> it needs to go to. I don't know why you're doing this right here on the lot. And he's like, it's just, uh, it's just uh, I need to get my cut, you know? And I'm like. Yeah, I I, ne- I never said for a second that you're not going to, but we're not going to do this here. And he's like, "How much? How much are you? How much are they offering to give you for this car?" And I was like, "Well, it's a '96 Mercury Sable. <laughs> the undercarriage is completely rusted. <laughs> um, they said somewhere between 150 and 200, and they're like, all right, I'll, I'll buy it for two 200, and uh, I won't uh, charge you for towing.' That was a better right. deal than I was going to get. It's and great. like, no one was biting on Craigslist, so I was like, "Sure, we'll do a cash." <laughs> and he's like. But um, you know, how am I gonna get my cut? I think this should probably be dropped down to a hundred. I'm like, the words out of your mouth were just, just that you'd give it to me to two hundred right. when you're like and I just told you these that are was two, okay. <laughs> these are two new tires and things like that. So he yeah, it was just it made me Wait, feel really gross. He wanted to buy the car and a a cut of what? Yeah, that- like it was the dumbest like <laughs> business deal, but I was like I'm pretty sure he's so confused himself in this point. He thinks right. he's getting a better deal out of me than really what my car is. Like I'm right. trying to tell him this won't even I can't even drive this anywhere. It, right. it made the most god awful noises. Luckily, I got 99% of my journey right. to the Ford dealership before <laughs> it happened, but yeah, but so I was just like this is going to work out in my favor ultimately, but it just feels really gross. Because he is trying to basically be like, I got your car up on the jack. Now where are you going to go? You know? uh, Just walk away. So, yeah, I was just like, and then he was rushing me trying to clean out my car, which I was just like, there's nothing really of value in here at this point. There's just like sentimental things I need to take out. So, but then I had a moment where I was kind of like, bye, Mabel, because I called her Mabel the Sable and he just drove off with her. So. So that was kind of that. So I can, I can relate to having that stuff. R.I.P. Mabel. Yeah, R.I.P. R.I.P. Bit the farm, bought the farm, whatever the farm, <laughs> the farm analogy is. Went to the junk farm <laughs> in the sky. Um, but we're that's that's anecdotal car. You're here for a completely different reason. So Ooh, unrelated to cars. Unrelated yeah, to possibly. cars. That's true. Tell the adoring public who you are and yeah. why you are here. Hi, everybody. Well, I'm uh, Jeffrey Golden. I'm uh, I'm an author and uh, I'm a publisher of Devastator Press. 
Um, we make uh, comedy books featuring folks from The Daily Show, The Onion, Adult Swim, Marvel Comics. And uh, I've got a book here that, uh, that I wrote, and it's called Dream It, Screw It. It's 30 years of rejected Disney park ideas from Dip Disney. And this, this, I I felt bad because I felt like I'd been so out of the loop and wasn't (laughs) able to get, uh, like, sort of copy from Aristotle ahead of time. But you you informed us that this is... This is fresh off the boat right here, off the the book boat. (laughs) So we're a part of only a few eyes to even look at it, not not yet read. You guys might actually be the first people to see the physical book. That didn't work on it. Right, they didn't work outside of my partner, Amanda, and I, uh, who we run the, the... press together very so, cool yeah. so I've, uh i've been pushing devastator yeah hard for a long time if you've been listening for, yeah for, a while. for those of you that haven't um without like we treat our guests nice we try and like talk them up but devastator is probably one of the better just independent like presses well, thank out you. there it's just it it there like you you mentioned the onion and, and things like that and there's like things that are akin to devastator but they, you guys just go down a, a route that I never anticipate. You know what I mean? Sometimes I feel like anything that's in satire goes for very low-hanging fruit sometimes. Right. It's like, oh, this title feels familiar because I thought of this like ironic situation before. Right. You know what I mean? Whereas Devastator, I picked that up and I'm like... What what? And I have to like read because you guys go in such different directions. We try not to go with our first ideas. We try to go with our our third and and fourth ideas. Um, yeah, like if you go to a humor bookstore right now, what you'll see is a lot of uh, Kathy collections yeah. and a lot of books about Donald Trump. And it's like yeah. everybody had the same. You know, it's a lot of people have the same idea about humor books. Is that mm-hmm. like they're cash cows, right? Right. It's like okay, like nobody at this at this big press this prestigious press in new york really wants to make a humor book but they know that they sell so like okay well you know this person had a funny idea for a trump parody so right and the election's coming up so we'll do this trump and it's like that's that's not how we think we're passionate about humor books we're the only all humor press in america we focus exclusively on these books and we want them uh, you know, to read like cutting edge, awesome, crazy sketch comedy show like you might go to see at uh, like the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater or something at midnight. Yeah. You know, it's it's something cool that uh, that no one else would be. Uh, no one else has the cojones <laughs> to do. <laughs> Chutzpah. The chutzpah. Dude, thank you. That's more to my. Uh, that's that's more to me. Um, yeah, we've had uh, one of one of your colleagues well, on before. We've had of... Mike Levine, but mm-hmm. also Kenny Keel. Yeah, Kenny yes. Kyle. I, Kyle. I, every time I see it, even on the show, I think that was Keel or Kyle. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kenny Kyle did a stay-at-home Scarface, the uh, hilarious adult <laughs> coloring book. Mike Levine, who uh, did two books for us, mm-hmm. uh, Oh, the Flesh You Will Eat, our parody of Dr. Seuss, and uh, and also All the Feelings, our, uh, our book of fake teen monologues. Hella dramatic monologues. Hella dramatic monologues. Yep, yeah, that's the of a teen of a, of a teenage. Yeah, and, uh, and, yeah, and both of them are great. And I, I think what is very interesting about it is it it it... it, it Topical sometimes might come into it, but it never feels like the focus. It's just a oh, random, no. like, a little baby timestamp that just happens. But what I really appreciate about Devastator is you take the time to think of the format and the form the book takes. Right. Like, for example, when we had Mike Levine on there, it was packaged like all of the, like, 60-minute plays mm-hmm. that I did in middle school. <laughs> for, we actually for, researched, We call I called... Uh, 
I called some of the publishers of those books, like Samuel French and stuff, and mm-hmm. I, I pretended to be uh, like a student at a book school, like a, <laughs> like studying poly. And I was like, "What? What? So, what paper type do you guys use? Like, typically, like, are your trim sizes always this? You know, this by this?" It's and a, they didn't feel like they were being like strung along. Who cares? To... It's like, I mean, these, <laughs> things are, these things are you know in the public. Right? It's just like it's like it would be easy enough for me to figure it out. Right. Um, and it, but but you know, then I just take those those specs and I. Uh, I get them to to the pup to the printer. I'm like, can you do this? And they're inevitably they say, yeah, of course. This feels um, like a like a overall life tactic of yours. Yeah, well, I'm I've, to just be very jovial and ask the questions, <laughs> and the answers come. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And also imitating other people is something I've been doing for. <laughs> I do I do pretty well. Um, yeah, it's just it's it's a lot of fun working on these things. I, I especially like it when a book hits a very specific target, like mm-hmm. is like formatted like something else very specifically without necessarily being like a one-for-one parody like i don't see us do it you know again like there's a tons in the humorous section you'll find like for a while there was a bunch of twilight parodies like everybody yeah did yeah, a, yeah everybody did like a parody cash in parody of twilight or whatever and like right. that's yeah we we try to go for evergreen stuff and for things that will will last on your shelf because that's what we're ultimately I think that's where books differ from other mediums. It's like right. we, we tend to keep books and treasure books and cherish books. They're not like YouTube videos, you know, we'll, yeah. you'll watch it, you'll enjoy it one Praise day, it you'll, for for, the week. you'll play it for the week, and then you'll you'll forget it ever existed. You know, suddenly the, someone says Gangnam Style to you, and you're like, what is a Gangnam <laughs> Style? Was I supposed to? Did I know? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, wow. That, yeah. That's right. There was a Gangnam Style. Um, for the longest time, I was calling it Gundam Style. Gundam Style. There, but then then somebody made a YouTube somebody parody that, yeah. of Gundam Style. Because then again, there's that low-hanging fruit. It's like that just like you... You could almost be unconscious and think of that parody. Right. You know? That's right. And Devastator, I never feel like the, goes that route. The other the other secret is that I think the secret to a really good Devastator book is uh, the author having a personal connection with the source material. Yeah. And and you can see it in a lot of our in a lot of our best work where it's clearly the author's passion, whether they're like a super they're super nerdy for this particular subject or it's based on, you know, things that actually happened to them in their life. And sort of infusing like little bits of autobiography and little bits of like yeah. personal knowledge and research with the the book makes it feel like something beyond you know just like a gift book of of you know of cat photos. Which by the way we <laughs> which we have done by the way we have made the cat book you know we have made cat books before it's so we're not beyond that. There are some yeah. Uh, yeah. obligations. This is true. Yes, yeah. I don't think we also, actually. Everybody could, loves cats. Everybody like, loves it's, cats. It's uh, just, there's no question. The um, yeah, I think in order to uh, actually get our LLC. See, we had to prove that we were publishing cat books. <laughs> they had to say, "Well, the government wouldn't wouldn't grant us uh, this this license unless uh, unless like, we could prove that we were contributing our fair share to the cat book economy." So, so, so since this is such a, a new book, yes, this um, is brand is it, is new. This, um, did you just oversee this? Did you have direct? No, well, input? I would, correct. I am the author okay. of the book. Um, but then there was a, a quite a bit of overseeing because uh, four amazing artists contributed to it. Uh, Shingen Kor, Elan Trinidad, Reed Solstice, and Mark Palm. And if you are uh, an indie comics geek, you probably recognize some of those names. Um, from uh, from the, Some of them are Eisner Award winners, and others have started really amazing projects like uh, The Intruder in Seattle. Um, so basically, yeah, the book is uh, – it's the story of Dip Disney – 
who was uh, Walt Disney's drunk <laughs> idiot cousin. They were, uh, they were river playing boys uh, back in Marceline, Missouri at the turn of the century. <laughs> and, uh, and they basically, because of his familial relation to Walt, uh, Dip gets a job for life working at uh, Disney Imagineering, <laughs> where they make the theme park ride. So for 30 years, he came up with over 7,000, he came up with 7,000 ideas for theme park rides, none of which were ever used. And this book uh, collects those ideas, and they, uh, you can see, it's like, it's, you see, like, illustrations as well as, like, schematics. It talks about, like, what the ride would be like, what the attraction experience would be like, and then uh, anecdotes about, historical anecdotes about uh, what happened when he pitched the ideas and, uh, you know, his his frustration as a creative person. Um, so, yeah, it features, it's 30 years of ideas. So it goes from uh, the first idea, which he came up with in 1963, I believe. Yeah, I think his career was from 63 to 93. So it starts with, um, it's a small world child feeding zoo <laughs> where uh, he, he wanted to create a, uh, he wanted to uh, help UNICEF feed uh, hungry children of the world by bringing them to this uh, small enclosure, a small world, if you will, where uh, tourists could feed the children. Uh, all the way, and this the uh, it goes all the way to uh, the Muppets take Central Florida, which was a pitch in the early '90s for a stage show about uh, Fozzie, uh, Kermit, Piggy, and the gang all settling into and retiring as old as old Muppets to uh, Central Florida <laughs> to work at at uh, Disney World for the rest of their lives. I was gonna say, like the second that you mentioned, uh, just that this was gonna be poking fun at Disney. And now fleshing out the lore of it. How many? How would you? How many Florida jokes would you say? There's there is a packed into this. There's a fair share okay. of uh, Florida jokes because it just seems absolutely. Like that's a, that's one of the obligatory sort of things. Oh yeah, you got to hit Florida. So let's see. But his journey takes him. Uh, his journey takes him to. He's in California. He's in Florida. He spends some time in a POW camp in Vietnam. Um, he has he a looks very strange. He has a very strange, uh, strange life. So there are photos of. In here, yeah. So that's uh, the actor is uh, is Zach Ames, who is mm-hmm. a hilarious uh, comedian, and uh, he, yeah, he he portrays Dip. We had to do some special effects makeup to get him to look uh, <laughs> as thirty years, yeah, and, yeah. and thirty years older than he's a book. He he gets the job. Dip gets the job when he's in his sixties. So uh, we had to go from sixties to nineties. And, uh, yeah, as well as uh, another uh, hilarious comedian, Justin Michael, who, uh, very funny guy, who also who plays Dip's rival, uh, Morton, Morton Boggs, who is uh, sort of a, an unimaginative imagineer, <laughs> okay. who, who is Dip's rival. I have to indulge, because I just flipped to yes. idea number 3,905. Great. The Jackson 5 Dimensions. Yeah, the Jackson 5 Dimensions. Okay, so so uh, Michael Eisner uh, tells Dip he's going to be on the team to develop uh, some kind of uh, attraction for Michael Jackson, to showcase Michael Jackson. Doesn't and the thing is that, um, so, so Dip researches Michael Jackson, but the thing is he only reads, uh, he only listens to Jackson 5 music. He doesn't get to... Uh, Jackson's solo career. So he thinks the Jackson 5 is still the big thing, and he perceives that Tito is the lead of this group. So uh, <laughs> so the story is about uh, it's, it's about the Jackson 5 uh, riding intergalactic rainbows together. Uh, their motto is, No Jackson Left Behind. 
Um, and keep in mind, of course, that this ride was conceived well after uh, Jackson had become a solo artist. And uh, yeah, they're running from an evil space mutant who looks a lot like their father. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, don't for he's always like, and don't forget little Michael. I, I, I like in the uh, notes when you talk about Goo Jackson, who I'm assuming yeah, is what looks like their father. Yeah. Um, in the notes, they're asking, is Sidney Potier available? Yeah. Yeah. Spelled terribly wrong. Yeah, these are all dips. Dips handwritten notes on these illustrations uh, are are generally misspelled. There's a lot of misspellings. Um, yeah, he wanted to know if uh, Sidney Potier was available for uh, for the for the role of that Jackson. That is great. Now I flip the page and I see Star Wars blast off to bureaucracy. Yes. So uh, people don't realize this, but Dip Disney, uh, in his idea for uh, he he had this idea where uh, where you would be uh, members of an intergalactic trade federation. Uh, doing okay. uh, doing uh, trades across the uh, the galaxy, <laughs> and uh, and the idea everybody at uh, at at Lucas film hated the idea for the ride, except for George Lucas himself, who <laughs> thought there was something to the idea about uh, intergalactic bureaucracy. I was like, could I tinker with that for a little bit? <laughs> a and true trade federation, a true a trade federation, if you will. And Dip was like, you can have the idea. I'm sure whatever you turn it into, Star Wars fans are gonna love. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, and that's how he. So we he can blame all of episode one on Dip. Yes. Okay. He got ends, it. Yeah, he ends up uh, coming up with horrible ideas well outside of the Disney, uh, the Disney realm. Now the the reason I picked that one was because there's illustration on there of the seating. Yes. Of them doing these trade federations at a screen, a right. projected screen. <laughs> That's not a bad idea of how to seat people for a ride, though. Right. In right. this, in the shape of the Millennium Falcon. He, you know, yeah. he he gets. Some things right, like that's yeah. the thing. It's, it's like, like he, there's it, something there, but right, but not he, quite. It's always right. It's it's always overwhelmed by stupidity. Like his good, <laughs> yep. his flashes of good ideas, and it sort of talks. That's that's what the ending, uh, the last part of the book talks about his legacy, and it's like. You know, on the one hand, he coined the phrase, it's a small world. On the other hand, he used it to describe a child feeding zoo. So, like, in some ways, you know, his failures really led to some of the great successes of Disney. And we just don't, we don't It's like a drunken that. master approach that Walt was like, yeah, yeah, let's keep him around because it inspires me. Right. But he's got some of the worst ideas. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You really have to know how to filter with uh, with dip to find the gold in in and uh, amongst all the, the the thing that I like about this is when we talk again about format and presentation this looks like the book that I walked away with from the gift shop right <laughs> that because I'm driving from Iowa to Florida we're not flying um I'm reading that on the way back. That looks like every book that I walked away with from whatever sort of yeah, place that, I had just come. Thank you. That is exactly uh, that is exactly what we're going for. We we studied a lot of those uh, books and the uh, layout designer. I got to give a shout out to Mike Reddy, who is amazing. He's been working with us on our more recent books, and he is just so talented. He comes from uh, does does a lot of uh, magazine uh, does a lot of like big name magazine layouts, but he's uh, just a phenomenal uh, la- layout. And it's but it's something that's really funny with a humor book. I was I was concerned at first uh, where uh, the feedback I was getting was initially uh, just. Uh, you know this book looks gorgeous. Like mm-hmm. look, this book looks amazing, 
And it's not necessarily like what you want to hear as a comedian when yeah. you're presenting your work to someone. <laughs> you know, when people like the people spend more time with it and they read it and they immediately they 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 find it funny and of course they've been people have really enjoyed it um, who I've sent it to. Uh, and uh, now we're starting to get reviews and things. Uh, people have been been very kind to it. Um, but uh, yeah, initially it was just like all the focus was entirely on how good the design mm-hmm. was, and yeah. I was like, "Oh, like okay, well at least it's a pretty looking book." <laughs> uh, and you said earlier that all your books have all the authors have like uh, attachment to the subject matter. Are right. you like are you a big Disney fan? Absolutely, hundred percent. I was I, that was my dream job growing up as a kid was to be a Disney Imagineer. That's what I thought I might uh, I might do. Um, and uh, my life took me to a different path, but I still never like abandon. I I like Imagineers. I also really love like working in multiple disciplines. So in this case, you know, working with you know, obviously like writing the humor, directing the art, directing the photo, you know, the photographs, directing the, the you know the manipulation, directing the the layout, like all the different like play you know things that and i write video games and comics and other the things for for different people for different clients and uh have in the past and uh i like working in different mediums and uh and i think that's what the imagineers do so brilliantly Mm -hmm. is they every ride represents a hundred different disciplines you know there's a guy whose job is to do the lighting there's a guy people who a team who's does the animatrons there's somebody who like pipes and smells there's like a smell <laughs> scientist at disney who's like i know how to make this room smell like oranges <laughs> and like he like and he or she knows how to do that you know and that's that's their job um which is crazy so so you had a you almost were not you could enjoy the smoke and mirrors or the orange scents <laughs> absolutely um of the intellectual property but from an early age <laughs> you took to the idea of like how does one run a theme park? Who who are all the players? I think for me, it was more about the stories. I was, mm-hmm. you know, I had this weird attachment to. So you you'll be in a line uh, for for a Disney attraction or something, and you'll see one of those videos that is like uh, it's the scientist who is like your cart is dangerously unstable. <laughs> We're not sure if you'll make it back from this trip. <laughs> you know, I loved those videos. Yeah. And I also loved, like, how the little details, like, in the line weights, like, would add to the experience yeah. of mm-hmm. the ride itself. So for me, it was all about story. And uh, I learned in my research for this book that uh, that is largely what Disney, what Walt Disney, that was his philosophy for these rides. Was right. that It was story. It all came down to story. What's the story we're trying to tell? And every detail had to be perfect because mm-hmm. it had to be you know you the the uh rider is the protagonist in this story that we are creating for them yeah and uh yeah so that so that always fascinated me so from a young age i was always like thinking about like ride stories and, like how i would adapt like different properties to become rides you know or to yeah. become attractions that that always like was a, was a kind of a hobby. It is almost a. I mean, we think about it now. We live in an age where comic books are inspiring movies, mm-hmm. but only like a decade ago, all of the rides, rides from yeah. Disney were in, because of the level of detail in them were inspiring mm-hmm. the stories 
for film. Yeah. Which is just crazy to think about. There's some really funny disasters uh, in that <laughs> yeah. realm, like the Country yeah. Bears oh, and, uh, and the Haunted Mansion. Mansion. Yeah. But then, of course, they, they, they hit the right one, which yeah. was uh, the Horizons the movie. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. That's the first one that came to mind because I do – I love that ride, but the – thing that always confused me about that ride was the man in the rocking chair when you're about to enter. Right. Because he'd never quite fit in for me, and I wasn't sure, is this supposed <laughs> to be the ride, or is this for the Where restaurant? Are you ta- oh, you're, wait, you're, which are you ta- you're talking about? Oh. To pir- you're talking about Pirates? Yeah. Oh, yes, 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 right. Well, because it's, it's weird, right? Because it's in... This sort of uh, like, this travel- bayou rest, this bayou restaurant, where it's like the themes like kind of work together, but also mm-hmm. like are, it is kind of a little like strange. stretch. Am I supposed yeah. to be traveling through time here? Right. That, I, well, that is, always threw me is, off. Is, a is Jack Sparrow? He's at the end now of the ride. He's, correct. He's right. Without it. Isn't he? Well, yeah, he's throughout the Is ride. He throughout? You, yeah, you can oh, see him. Okay. And they add it in like the most hilarious way, like throughout the ride. It's like you'll, you'll be pulling up in the first room and it'll be like, Jack Sparrow was here. <laughs> Has anyone seen Jack Sparrow? <laughs> Where's that Jack Sparrow? He's kind of like, it's kind of like Poochie. It's, yeah. You know, it's like yeah. when, no, when Poochie isn't on screen, you have to be talking about Poochie. <laughs> um, the, um, yeah, I think though, perhaps. The uh, the bones in the beginning, maybe that's the the, t- the ticket, right? Like you see, like mm. this, you know, you're in. Let's see, like the old man in the rocket chair. You pass mm. him on the bayou. Then you like go maybe deep into a cave or whatever, and you see, oh hey, it's like pirate bones. It's like what were these guys? Who were these people? What were they up to? And then you splash down and you go they- back in time. I think is what the story that they're trying to tell. Sometimes it's it's a little difficult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you guys been on the uh, Little Mermaid? Uh, I was just going to mention that. You know why that that I think I'll go on every ride that somebody suggests as their favorite from right. now on because I was like, every uh, I forget who it was. It was basically the little girl of the party that right. I was with. And uh, she's like, I love Little Mermaid. And I was like, okay, this sounds like I'm, they're probably going to like shoot water at me or something <laughs> like that and make me not want to be on the ride. But I was like, okay, we'll go. And they have the best entering the world moment for right. me, which is that the you, you look like you're heading towards water. The ride turns around. <laughs> and then there's a smoke screen that you pass through backwards. And then that smoke screen all of a sudden just drops down in front of you, and it feels like you're underwater. They like right. cue the speakers to do bubbles, and then they project onto the smoke to make it look like fish going by or, or something like that. And then I was like, should I start breathing right? Like there was one <laughs> millisecond of like, did I just go underwater? That made the experience for me. And Ursula was weirdly a very good animatronic. Yes. So so I think the details and the way the ride is composed is, is excellent. Um, and Ursula is a, is a standout animatronic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it looks. She looks amazing. The ride, from a narrative perspective, makes no sense. Yeah, they cut out so much of the Little Mermaid, like the the actual story of yeah, it. Yeah, we didn't even mention Ariel or it's like, like anything. It, you go from like she sells her she sells her her voice, voice to Ursula. Then there's like a weird room where like they're stabbing Ursula with the ship, but also it's that's in the background. And then they're married, and like then they're married. Like, yeah, it's, it's yeah. The marriage was the most out of nowhere. Yeah, it was like to... it's like wait a minute. Like, what happened to all the other stuff that <laughs> happens? And it's like, like it was 
it should have just been like they should have just called it like a little mermaid like a musical adventure uh-huh. it's just like these are all we're just taking scenes we're just taking the musical numbers from a little mermaid giving them each a room and yeah. that's how we're that's how we're going to justify yeah. it you know as opposed to like trying to say like this is the story of the little mermaid yeah. like scuttles like i'm going to tell you the story of the little mermaid and then you're you get out of the ride it's like did i learn the story of the little mermaid like i'm not sure what happened the uh, second and third acts there. I'm a little lost in that I have not been on this ride. Oh, oh crazy. Which Mermaid? park yeah. is it at? It's close to... A California Adventure. Yeah, it's ah. close to there. Is yeah. it? Is it actually in there? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, here's, the, here's the true question that I have about mm-hmm. this book. Yes. Is um, with coming so close to Disney... Yes. What was the sort of legal <laughs> stepping on eggshells you had right. to do? So one thing is, of course, you have to make it very clear that the book is a parody. Parody okay. is protected free; it's protected speech. Okay. Um, the other thing, uh, you know, we we also per, are pretty explicit in stating that uh, we have no connection with Disney. This is unofficial. Uh, everything that is Disney belongs to Disney. <laughs> we claim no ownership over anything that belongs to Disney. That this is a this is a parody. Um, the other thing is, of course, uh, changing the way that the illustrations look. It's called, you know, so when you're drawing something uh, for animation, you need to draw it on model, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm if I'm drawing, if I'm testing for, you know, Disney's Doug or whatever, like I better like <laughs> be able to draw like Disney's Doug, like exactly like Doug is drawn. Oh, otherwise, a... I, otherwise, mm. I'm going to have a very hard time working on this show. You know. Yeah. So what we do is we purposely make things off model. Okay. So we we purposely take things and change them the, the artwork and the illustrations so that it looks different. Yeah. Um. You know, there's there's uh, I I worry more about uh you know about uh, Disney goons like coming to me in the middle of the night right. being like you know rather than Disney lawyers I think it's just like <laughs> you just wake up as a like, come with us you know because you they, can't but, sue them. You can't like if you them. if you look up if you try and look no one no one gets away with trying to sue Disney. I would I have no desire to sue <laughs> Disney. I I hope that uh, we can all uh, live in <laughs> harmony here. Uh, there was, uh, a, there was I a... also don't think uh, honest uh, like honest I think the book is uh, is is doing really well sales wise, but I don't think it's anywhere near their radar in terms of oh, like okay. what yeah. you know what is like a, you know. It's. I don't just don't think it's on their their radar as of uh, mm. as of right now. So well, after this though, yeah, after this, you're gonna have to podcast, start. Yeah. You're gonna, yeah, you're gonna have to find. I, don't, some I honestly, team of your own. I honestly, I'm not worried about no. it. We've taken just about every legal precaution that one should take with uh, with regards to parody. I, you know, they, they, a, legally speaking, like you can't stop someone from using a parody. The thing that you can say is that. Um, you know, this thing uh, is doing like, you know, you're trying to use our copyright to, you're trying to sell things based on our Using our property. You're using our property, right. And that is obviously not what we're doing. It's very clearly none of it. Think about also, think about all the porn parodies that are out there too. Right. Tons and tons of porn parodies, you know? Yeah. And again, it's very clear that like, you know, Family Guy XXX is not (laughs) Family Guy. No one is going to be, no one, and and who wants to like make that argument in court that's like, People are going to think that this, like, this show, can I swear on this show? Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who wants to think that this, you know, this video of Lois and Quagmire fucking was officially from <laughs> Fox Entertainment? You know, Fox yeah. doesn't want to make that argument. I wouldn't put it past, uh, ah, shit, what's his name? Who? Uh, 
Ah, oh, the creator. I feel uh, like he would, Seth MacFarlane would be into that, but he probably Fox. masturbates to it every single night. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's be honest. Like somebody's <laughs> making this, and it's not me. Uh, I like but, that he. I like that he masturbates not to the video itself, but just to news, like a news story <laughs> about the making of it. You know, he, just he doesn't goes, even need the actual. He's image. like four, <laughs> fourteen pages deep into Google about right. it. He's yeah. like, oh, uh, mentions. Oh gosh. Um so what was what was the like what was the biggest moment of pride for you for for this book? Like what were you most proud about or what <laughs> Ooh. Like What's your what, favorite idea? What you cuz I'm assuming are you already starting on the next project or is like this I am, but it's a top, it's I yeah, I can't top talk secret. I can't talk about that one. That's So that's what do you what one. do you feel is walking it, away from is this Is it in one? the Disney vault? It is not in the Disney vault. <laughs> it could be couldn't be further from the Disney vault. Um the um I don't know. Like it's it's in terms of a specific idea. I really love um, one idea that I I think has came out really well is uh, the Hindenburg Sky Resort. I saw that one and I didn't yeah. really pass the title. <laughs> right. So, so well, it's uh, it's a hotel that's a blimp in the sky, and uh, every evening at six o'clock they do a show where they pretend that the blimp is crashing to the ground, <laughs> a fire explosion. <laughs> And uh, yeah, it, it's, it, I did. I had to do some some research to find out about the about the Hindenburg to, to parody it. Um, but the catchphrase, the proposed slogan for it was "Oh, the amenities." <laughs> um, and the illustration by uh, by Elan Trinidad is is really funny and and uh, accurate. It's just, you know it depicts basically the fire that's depicted is like fireworks. And it's coming like the blimp is. It's supposed to come dangerously close to the castle to make it look like it's colliding like head first with the with the castle. Um, yeah, this was uh, yeah this this was a pretty ridiculous uh, idea of dips. Uh, I, I think this this one came out uh, really funny. I like this uh, sort of an ode to the the a lot because they do a lot of theme hotels like the Polynesian. Yeah. And things like oh that. yeah. So, you know, just thought. Oh, what about the Hindenburg? <laughs> There are some things that just make you go, oh, that's so – like you mentioned the Disney vault. The Disney uh, there's vault. A way, well, there's a way to – secret Disney There's, there's a way yeah. to create hysteria when you didn't even – like you're uninformed about – you know, what's this Disney vault? I don't know. I, like I, I have to go out and buy an hour or so to go away forever. <laughs> that's a way – and then you mentioned the different hotels. That's, yeah. I, that's, oh, we didn't stay in the typhoon right, the, land, right. you know? <laughs> Oh, there's so many. There's so many different hotels on property. They just I, get you. You just yeah. You've, I've, I haven't stayed in nearly uh, many. Many. Most of them I haven't. I have. I have stayed in. I believe two, and I'm fortunate to to say that they. My favorite Disney hotel is the Yacht and Beach Club in uh, near Epcot in Florida, which is really which is really nice. Just, yeah. It's real. Cl- it's a real class did you, act. Did you right by the boardwalk? Where, where did you grow up? I grew up in Buffalo, New York. Okay. Yeah. So were you? Uh, Growing up, were you a Disney World kid or Disneyland? Disney World. Okay, because you're, you're yeah. on the same coast. I didn't actually go to Disneyland until I was in, I want to say college. I think it was college or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was, we were, the the family was considering all moving out to uh, to Disney, to, to uh, not to Disney, to, uh, <laughs> to, uh, to, big to, D fans were going to live in Disneyland. Yeah, people do. People do move to Anaheim yeah. specifically to live near Disneyland. Yeah. Um, we were thinking about moving to Los Angeles, um, and so we were all so, sort of scoping it out, and we ended up going to uh, to Disneyland. I only went it, but just, We went to World many times. Yeah, last last year. And there was a thing, like, growing up, because we're – I mean, it's it was so often kind of my life on some, like, degree was 
which coast because I'm right. in the Midwest. And so like when right. we heard that, we we were just like, wait, so one's bigger, right? And then there, it was like, yes, clearly Disney World. <laughs> I was like, all right, I don't give a shit about the first. Like that's just right. a word <laughs> right. to me. I want to go to the biggest. I want to go to the biggest. And, the biggest is the best. Yeah, and so been. and and now that I've gone to Disneyland, I do see. I mm, there are things I just prefer about both, but at first you're like, oh yeah, bigger's better, but then the property's bigger and you have to walk so far right. in Disney World, and that's like kind of what kills the experience. Whereas Disneyland, everything's yeah, everything's so close. But when somebody pointed to the Magic Castle in Disneyland, I was like, get out, yeah. <laughs> get, get out of here! Like, right. where, where, where's the magic? Come on, where's the Magic Castle? And they're like, no, that's. That's it. I was like, that's not a castle. Right, that's, that's something I put this through on like par six. Yeah, that's I know. not a castle. That's supposed to have a little drawbridge that lifts up when I make a hole in oh, one. It's God. Little, it was like I, I like let out a hefty sigh <laughs> when I saw that because I was so jaded from a true castle right. in Disney World. Yeah, you're a real ca- and you're a real castle freak too. <laughs> yeah, and like that's the true. Sh- and you love the show castle. You yeah, yeah. So it's your like, middle name is Castle. Your middle name's Castle. It's very yeah, close. You were, it's Carl, it but it, like the German. German, like way of saying castle, right? Carlsville. Um, yeah, I didn't know. I didn't realize that was so widely known about my castle yeah. fetish. Real quick mm. about hotels. Did yes. you know, for a small fortune, you can stay in that building that's right above the line of Pirates of the Caribbean? Uh, yes, I did hear oh. that, and that's great. That it's like that's, one of those like crazy rich people. It's one things. of their like celebrity rooms, right? That's yeah. That'd yeah we start to get into Elysium territory. Like yeah. <laughs> all of us plebeians will never know that experience. My uh, my mom worked for Disney for some time. Uh, she was the fairy godmother at uh, Oh, cool at Magic Kingdom. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she was backstage, and in the castle, there's, like, a dressing room, and it couldn't be more disappointing <laughs> gross. <laughs> it's, like, super small and smoky, like, people smoking there and stuff. It's, like, it was, like, a real, uh, like, a letdown, you know, as somebody, you know. as This we is were magic? All, yeah, I know, this isn't magic <laughs> now, at wait, all. You said she was fairy godmother for Disney World? Or yeah, Land? for Disney World. Yeah. What years? Um, ooh, this would have been, well, I was in college, I want to say, uh, to the early aughts, I want to say. Okay. Because I was, I went, I think, like, 96 or 97, and the fairy godmother, uh, we got all the autographs from all of them. Right. Fairy godmother definitely signed mine because I remember her going, hello, Derek. I was like, hello! <laughs> I didn't realize that it was like right in the back. She was the uh, first person to pull that one. Uh, that oh yeah, my parents had written it in the back, and she just flipped real quick and then flipped back and said hello, Derek. Well, I was just like holy shit. Well, that was a good experience. So let's say it was my mom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You have to go yeah. back to her and like yeah, I just well, met a young man whose it, mind you blew. It seemed a little bit like you were going to go, ago. and she wouldn't sign my book. Yeah, oh, I thought no, that's no, no, where no. I thought that was going. <laughs> no, it would no, be no. like it was definitely not my mom. <laughs> she gave me the best experience out of all the life performers. Um, I kind of. Well, what were you going to ask? Because I was going to start asking about the Devastator itself. Yeah, please. Do it. Uh, you guys have been doing this a long time. How did, how did yeah. Devastator get, get rolling? So uh, uh, so my partner, Amanda Meadows, and I, we we're both uh, internet comedy writers. And uh, she worked for uh, McSweeney's and College Humor. I was writing for National Lampoon and Crack.com. And uh, the two of us sort of lamented how the work that we were doing would go away so quickly. It was like... You know, one one minute you're you're one minute you're on the front page of dig.com. 
the next minute, you're nothing. You're nobody again. <laughs> and uh, we wanted to do something uh, that had some permanence that felt like, oh, we could, like, make a legacy and, and people could, you know, keep... Read this time and time again. Yeah, and we both loved books. It was something that we both loved. And so we decided to uh, start this quarterly anthology series called The Devastator, which we kickstarted um, in early 2000, uh, 2010. And uh, and in May of 2010, we overfunded. And this was very early in Kickstarter time. So a lot of we actually introduced, I think, a lot of people to Kickstarter um, oh, in cool. our network of uh, of folks uh, in our neck of the woods. And, um, you know, that uh, that grew. We, we did several issues of the anthology. We actually ended it just last year with our 13th. Uh, 13th edition, our space epic book. Each one had a different, like, geeky theme. And basically, we said to, uh, two years ago, we we decided, um, well, okay, so so one of the things about the Devastator, one of our trademarks, was that we had a double-sided books. So on one side, it was comics and comedy with the theme. The other side, you flip it over, and there was, like, a reverse book, like a fake-out book of a couple pages on the other side. And what we found was, as we were exhibiting at comic book conventions and talking to to readers and stuff, that people were buying these largely for the reverse book. Hmm. That the the mix of comics and comedy people liked and they enjoyed it, for sure. But, like, the thing that that put the butts in the seats, so to speak, (laughs) were the reverse books. And so that got us thinking, like, well, maybe instead of doing this really hard to pull off anthology <laughs> series, like, we should uh, take get these authors and uh, have them see if they have ideas for uh, full length books that we can release individually. Um, which and and since then, uh, our company has been uh, much better a financial standing. <laughs> um, it really has actually changed the business uh, almost overnight. Um, when we when we so immediately the same week that we announced that we were becoming a full time press and ending the anthology series, we got a distribution deal. And uh, to, our books are now in hundreds of bookstores across the country, which is really exciting. Um, awesome. Yeah, it's cool. But it's really cool. People like will tag us. You know, they'll they'll take a photo of uh, of our books in somewhere. You know, whether it's a bookstore or sometimes an airport or crazy places you wouldn't expect a train station. And uh, yeah, and then they'll tag us on Instagram like, "Hey, tell your tell your book." You know, isn't that cool? It's like, yes, that's very cool. Now buy it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you said you guys had both been writing for two sites that I believe were mostly online. How did you? get started with like like did you already have a lot of experience publishing physical books or was that a whole new was that a, yeah so uh, amanda was uh amanda when we started the devastator she was also working a full-time job with um with a with a publishing company that is now defunct called phoenix books which was the largest uh it's indie. defunct for now for now but it could rise again <laughs> it could unlikely the reason <laughs> the reason my un- because my understanding is the reason the company folded it wasn't because they weren't like doing well the reason the company embezzlement because, no not embezzlement um what i what i understand is that uh so i don't know if this is i'll we'll put an asterisk on it. i don't know if it's a true we could just cut to commercial if, yeah that's just true. go ahead and say it we'll decide if we want to the um it was uh that the owners were just bored with it oh. they were just like <laughs> eh, i'm bored with this publishing company let's this this giant uh national company like let's just wow. close it up and do something else <laughs> Why um, pass it off? But she That's was it. the she was the head of publicity for them for um for a while. And then um I was working at uh National Lampoon as an editor and uh I was learning how to basically ban- like to to hire freelance 
writers and manage them and edit their work and and things like that. So, um, you know, she was learning like the publicity end and the marketing end. I was learning like how to be an editor, and it just made sense the two of us could combine our our uh, our skills into this company. Wonder twin those powers. Wonder twin those powers. Now here's the here's the question that I have is. Um, when I like when I'm he- here in the store and I see them, and, like the next idea comes out, I'm like, oh, that seems so fun. That seems so enjoyable. And I just think of you guys as the cool guys, like oh, in quotes, you. like the cool guys. <laughs> you're you're doing the fun, cool books. But does it? Um, and I just have to imagine a, a lot of the creators feel free, and they're like, no, I have an idea, and they run with it, and it's just fun coming up with the ideas and flushing it out. Is do, do you feel like the majority of the time you're having fun or is there like stress that you're like wow i i i didn't re- i didn't anticipate that level of like also the shit you know so so i think for amanda and i uh yeah of course it's like when you run a business it doesn't matter how like fun that business is yeah. and we do have a lot of fun um but like yeah there's spreadsheets there's books to balance mm-hmm. there's contracts to to make and sign you know like there's all kinds of grown up garbage <laughs> that you have to yeah. that you have to do the non fun um, stuff the non fun stuff um but like we, you know this is the job that i that i love you know mm-hmm. this is the this is the thing i've done that gives me that i feel like i have the most purpose and part of that is because I get to keep things fun for the authors that right. we work with, you know. So uh, they, they, you know, there are things that they, as authors, need to be concerned about. They need to be concerned about marketing their book and, you know, getting on as many podcasts as possible. Thank you, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, like beyond, they don't have to think about, you know, the the spreadsheets and the things. Like we do, we take care of that. And try to keep and that's that's how we keep it. One of the ways we keep it, uh, we keep it fun, and we get the the re- kind of results that we want, which is that right. sort of like I can't believe you know t- some you know somebody would make this. We our budgets are when you compare them to you know a major publishing house, they're, they're quite a bit smaller. Um, but I think our products are just as good, and it's because we don't micromanage. You know, we mm-hmm. we do yeah. we we do have ideas, and there's also. Uh, one thing we have that's a little different is, um, you know, a lot of comedy is group written to some extent. Right. So every episode of The Simpsons, you know, I'm sure it has like one name on the credits, but it's actually written by 12, it went 15 through, people. Like, a filter of. Yeah, there's yeah. usually it's you take all these, you get all these smart people in a room and they read over the material and they add jokes and they add ideas. And in books, they don't do that. Um, it's one of the few forms of, of comedy where they have it, and we're bringing that to books. So mm-hmm. our authors, we have author meetings where we'll read our drafts in front of each other and get feedback. And uh, that way, at even early stages, we can start to see what is working, you know, when we read it, mm-hmm. what isn't working. We can punch stuff up. We can see, you know, we, just like if you were, you know, doing a sketch comedy show at, at a, the, the Nerdist Theater, you're, you know, or anything, you know, they... The um, yeah, it's an opportunity to uh, to bounce, and I think with a lot of humor books, they're not really bounced. You have an author, 
and you have an editor, and that's the relationship. That's who is looking in terms of who is actually looking at the creative of this book. Yeah. Whereas we get, you know, all these these people from, you know, different spectrums of the comedy world. Some of them are cartoonists who look at the book mostly or look at the books and the projects mostly in terms of art and mostly in terms of layout and design, you know, whereas we have, you know, comedians who are looking to, you know, can I, I could get this joke, you know, I have a joke I could get in, I have a joke I could get in. There's also people who focus more on story who are like, you know, I'm not sure I understood this part. Like, you may want to clarify that. I, I think it makes the books immeasurably better and like, you're still you said at the top you were quarterly correct well we do well the the old anthology series was, was quarterly, quarterly but, then, but we do we release a new book every month okay so every month there's a new project from devastator press whether it's a you know a fancy crazy color book like this or whether it's like a little you know black and white zine or zine, something like yeah. that but we do uh, is, every month there's something new comes out from devastator and, an insane amount of work. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's it is insane. Um, though less work than uh, than the anthology series was, which is uh, remarkable. It's just <laughs> just because the anthology series was you know thirty writers and artists from across the country, everyone contributing two page pieces. Every one of those has deadlines, and you have to track. It's just what's a nightmare. Yeah. Um, the if logistically speaking, here yeah. it's like I can you know if there's there's one book and you know there's one author. You know, we can we can manage that one author, and then when that project is done, that's a book. You know, are they, as opposed to two pages are, of work. Because if you're if you're saying that it's we treat it kind of like a writing room, and and so a lot of the creators are local, then yes, yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, though not all of them, um, we have uh, some of them call in. So okay. um, we have uh, for our first time, we have uh, we have an author from Ireland uh, who's contributing. His wow, next okay. year, uh, cool. Yeah, David Dolan, who's a really funny writer. For for something awful, um, we have a couple of. Uh, we have a, that's the name of the title, right? You're that's not, the name of the no. That's, that's the name the, of the website. Okay, okay. Do you know? Something you know, awful. Yeah, I'm not familiar. So. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a, been a. It's been a an internet humor mainstay okay. for uh, for many years. This where they they've amazing uh, amazing stuff on that site. It's a great, really funny site. Um, as well as we have a lot. Of, we have a couple of folks in New York. Um, you know, who comedians who call them from New York. But uh, for the vast majority, I think it's a Los Angeles uh, and LA group. But I imagine that will change over time sure. when we start to get more uh, more submissions from uh, other people. That's what I was. That was my next question: was how do you guys choose your authors, or like, do right. you approach people? Do they approach you? Is it both? It's a little bit of both. Yeah. So for the majority of the authors that we work with, um, people will they'll either email us or they will uh, meet us at a comic book convention. You know, but we do a lot of the pop culture cons and. Um, you know they'll they'll email they'll, they'll contact us and they'll say hey I really want to write for Devastator I really want to write a Devastator book and we'll say great send us some samples and if they send us samples and we like the samples we say great okay you're now on this list and uh, every year once a year we send out a massive prompt to the people who are on that list and we'll say hey. Like, this is the time. This is our, we have a proposal form to kind of make it easier. Because a book proposal, and so we typically know them, they can be very lengthy and very hard to write. Mm -hmm. um, we do, we actually have a form to make it a little easier to, to break it down to the, to the basics and get what we need to understand the pitch. And then uh, we'll get all these submissions in. And then the current slate of authors will choose next year's 
books. Oh, so, cool. Right. So so there's a meeting we have, an author meeting that we have where, yeah, people are – everyone's – you know, what we'll do, Amanda and I will nail it down. We'll say, okay, we these are the – you know, the top 10 or top 15, or well, it's just 12 books, so maybe the top 20, you know, proposals that we received this year. And then uh, the, we'll, we'll read them at the author meeting and then we'll say, you know, people will, will weigh in and we'll ultimately make a decision about what uh, what goes in the next year. That's such Which a great like, system. Yeah, it's cool because it gives you really get a sense of like, because everybody's coming at it from a different perspective. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's people who, who think of it, you know, just purely in the creative. There's people who are thinking about it in terms of marketing and, you know, and then, um, you know, will this book sell, you know. And uh, when you put all that together in a room, it creates a really interesting, some really interesting conversations, you know, and you start to, you start to see like, um, you know, we know, Amanda and I know what Devastator means to us and what we're trying to do, but it's interesting to see how our authors also may interpret Devastator a little differently, you know, and, yeah. what, what, and what we should be doing. And everybody kind of brings that little, little bit of personality to the Is, table. Because the, the more that I like myself and the more that I just talk to my friends who are in some aspect of either maybe a writer's room or thinking about content or like a, a network lineup um, and things. Right. Uh, do you, do you find it easy to have all the differences or like the things that people are saying and just filter it and process it and see how all the different angles ultimately strengthen it? Or was right. there like a learning curve of like, this is a lot of egos in one room or like this is a lot of, you know, I'm sure all of them are talented people. But if it is right. too much like contrasting views. It- no, the pretty much, you know, it's funny. Like the, it tends to be that the people who, although Devastator authors tend to come from different backgrounds mm-hmm. um, and have different passions and interests, like there is sort of a general sensibility that is the same, which is why like our books tend to kind of have a sort of similar sensibility yeah. even from author to author. So like I've never I don't think with Devastator like I've ever had a meeting where I was like, oh God, like this is, you know, <laughs> this is impossible. <laughs> like like at the end of the day, like you you have to take people's advice. Like you have yeah. to think everybody you you know, everybody wants what's best for, you know, for the company and they want we they want us to put our best work possible out there. So the question just becomes like, you know, is that person, why is that person thinking that, you know, yeah. like, what's the reason for that? And is that, you know, better reason than what this other person, you know, because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it comes down to, uh, to Amanda and I, we make the final, we make the final call, yeah. but, um, but allowing the group to have a voice in that process, um, you know, gives it, uh, I think gives it that, that's, it's a, a little extra, it's that something, yeah. it's that je ne sais quoi, it's that extra spice <laughs> that you can't quite taste, but it's, but it's delicious. It makes the, the soup a little bit nicer, you know. It's that great refinery. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you and Amanda do a lot of conventions. Yes, we do. Uh, I have, I have witnessed this in person <laughs> and it is the f- Finestly oiled machine. I have seen. <laughs> uh, how like how did that go? Like, what was your right. first time tabling a convention like? And what? How did you learn to like get the sale pitch down? And what did you go to conventions before that? We did go to conventions before. Um, we did one of our favorites to go to uh, was the Alternative Press Expo, um, uh, which was in San Francisco, which was a which was a very laid back uh, indie show. 
that as exhibitors was a mixed bag, but it was always like it was always like a pleasant show and always like profitable and good, a good and ex- a nice experience, but uh, never like a big money maker for us. But um, we we also went to Comic Con. We we were both Comic Con. She Amanda especially like she's been she'd been going for. Um, for years and years, because she grew up out here, uh, she grew up in in uh, in Anaheim, uh, in Orange County region. Nice. Um, so uh, you know, for for me, I had come when as soon as I came to Los Angeles, like that was like the first thing. It's like I got to apply for Comic Con, like because I had heard about it and how like amazing it was, but I was never able to go. There's in Buffalo at the time, there was no comic book convention you know yeah. you'd go to the flea market like where there was like one guy selling magic the gathering cards and like that was like a good <laughs> and sunday and poke uh no not yet not when i was going to the flea market uh, it was that was not a thing yet that's where i got all my cards yeah <laughs> <laughs> the flea market was a good place good place to get all kinds of things though um now it's just ebay it's, <laughs> easy, it's easier but not yeah. as much haggling um the um the first conventions we did were <laughs> they were sort of i guess it was sort of a trial run for us it was the uh ro- it was the rose bowl flea market mm-hmm. show yeah. i'm very familiar with yeah. that market because my cousin used to i want to say table there but i don't i feel like that's a very specific con word it's uh, yeah yeah this i mean yeah you would <laughs> more tenting there isn't t- it tenting, yeah. tenting. Yeah. they have i think they still have it there's like an yeah. area under oh, they have I know they have the Rose Bowl but there was another area a comic book <laughs> Wait, show Wait I thought I'd gone somewhere <laughs> The Rose Bowl is gone oh no It's a ghastly nest for all you Pokemon Go players out there just <laughs> saying Oh, oh. Oh, Full of ghosts. Well, so there you go. That's why you got to go. <laughs> um, underground, underneath the stadium, underneath the football stadium, they had a comics show set up in the locker rooms, like in the, the gym locker room. And it was like a little one room, you know, like about the size of Meltdown Comics. Um, and, you know, we would set up tables there. And mostly it was people selling just stuff from their garage. So some people selling, you know, an old, I had this old, you know, poster of a Scooby-Doo special, <laughs> you know, like, do you yeah. want this for five bucks? Um, so we were very strange in that we were like, you know, making a thing and trying to sell it to people. And boy, you learn, like you, you learn, like we've, we have failed so much, like in the beginning, yeah. like, in terms of just like trying to make this, in terms of just trying, that you uh, you learn that you learn to 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 swim um, because you're talking to just you know fifty people, hundred people, two hundred people. To some to some shows, it's a huge show. Maybe you're talking to two or three hundred people a day, you know, and just like you're just chatting with them and you know talking with them about these books, and you learn how to say things quickly. You learn how to uh, how to pitch. How to uh, keep their attention? How to, you know you just mm-hmm. you learn because otherwise you don't you know sell a book and right. then it's you know it's like it's like the the mouse where you know either they get the cheese or you shock them with the electric buzzer. Oh, it's right. like <laughs> once you've been shocked enough times, the cheese the, the mouse knows how to get the cheese. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. the mouse learns. <laughs> and the first I think the first major show we went to was Ape. Was that was the first one I think we we tabled at that was like a like an actual like we we traveled to it and it was a large show. Um, our favorite shows to do these days would be uh, Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle. I hear it's great. Yeah, it's a everyone, wonderful show. everyone wonderful that show. goes there says that it's among their favorites. It's amazing yeah. because um, it, the so you know how in like Photoshop you there's a way if you hold down the shift button you can scale an image and but keep it at the right proportions, yeah. like the same proportions. I use that frequently. 
Right. It's great. <laughs> so with a lot of comic book conventions, they get larger, but as they do, they don't hold down the shift key. And it gets large when they when they enlarge it. It gets kind of distorted looking yeah, and yeah. weird. People in hallways, right? In front there's of doors. Mm-hmm, exactly. Or or you know, it just the whole show becomes just like here's you know one giant retail, you know one giant t-shirt booth. You know, it's yeah. like half the floor or whatever. And also Verizon is here for some reason. You know. Yeah. Um. But Emerald City, like they have grown like perfectly. They have really always kept focus on publishers, comics, on media, and not letting it become oversaturated with, uh, you know, letting the floor get oversaturated with stuff that, you know, like, does does there need to be, like, a Verizon booth? Like, probably <laughs> not. Like, it doesn't really add to the show. Um, it's not my favorite thing to do right. as a convention, you know. Um the other show that is uh, amazing that we really love doing is uh, the Toronto Comic Arts Festival TCAF um, in Toronto. It is uh, absolutely an amazing show. If you're a comics fan, if you're an indie comics fan especially, um, it's definitely worth making the trip. Um, hundreds of the best indie cartoonists and small press publishers from across the country. It's a curated show, highly curated show. It takes place in a library. It's free. The show is free not to exhibit, but it's free to it's free to attend. Uh, but it's not not very expensive to exhibit for what it is. Um, and it's just it's just remarkable, just the breadth of talent. You know, it's really like you know a creme de la creme yeah. situation. And the guests are amazing, and it's always just a pleasure to to. Uh, exhibit an honor to exhibit there, and we we uh, we've been very fortunate. You know, we started doing the show. We were they sort of tucked us away like underneath the staircase. Like they were like, well, we like you, but we don't like you. You know, we, we you're you're good, but you're not great. And over the years, um, you know, and, as, up to, come out from under the steps like Harry yeah. Potter. <laughs> and right, you're, at, you're basically Harry Potter. Like we're basically Harry Potter. We have become because they, they put us like right in the middle of the show floor, like prime, uh, prime real estate. And you know, we're you're never guaranteed a spot at TCAF, but it was just like so cool to like go having gone from like all the way in the darkest corner yeah. to like one year being like at in the, the top of the mountain, at the top of the mountain, <laughs> the middle of the first floor. This is TCAF. this is it's your like an, this it's is, like an honor. This is your goblet of fire. You're in the Triwizard <laughs> tournament right now. <laughs> but the shit's gonna hit the fan, and then you're gonna be, find yourself in Order of the Phoenix. Oh no! So you're gonna run into so just the suits oh, no. when they start showing up to you on the showroom floor. Okay. Watch <laughs> out for them, okay? I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna, but I can't promise that I'm gonna win <laughs> that war. I don't know if I'm gonna beat the. I don't know if I'm gonna win that war. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, what what? Uh, so you have in previous years. I don't. I haven't seen it yet, I don't know, or I guess the latest one, but you guys put out a list of the best cons to attend. Yeah. Or Vendek. Right? Well, it's so it's, yes, yeah, so we do uh, this convention exhibitor survey, and if you are a, a comic book convention exhibitor or you're just somebody who goes to a lot of shows who's interested in the economics of these things for uh, for small uh, indie publishers and, and makers and artists and stuff – um, it's worth checking out, um, and I believe you can see the the results of last year's survey at uh, devastatorpress.com slash exhibitors2015. So devastatorpress.com slash exhibitors2015. And um, what it is is we – okay, so so if I'm uh, talking with you, Aristotle, about like what shows were really good for me, 
uh, and because you're interested in possibly exhibiting at a show, right? So you say, well, was, you know, Kamikaze a good show for you and uh, for you? And then I might say, you know, oh, it was a great show or oh, it was a terrible show. It was a lousy show or it was a great, the best show in the world. Um, but that's not numbers, right? Like, right. like it doesn't really give you like, it's like, oh, okay, you did well, but what is your conception of doing well? For some comic book exhibitors, like, and for some exhibitors, you know, merchandise or whatever, they're indie brands, um, making their money back on the table is doing well. Mm-hmm. For some, it's, you know, making five times the amount the that they, they spend <laughs> on the table is doing well. You know, for some, it's a specific bar. Like, I have to reach this dollar amount. For others, it's, you know, I have to sell. If I sell 10 of my paintings, that's a good show, and I don't care. You know, I don't really care right. about anything else. So what we did was we set up this survey where exhibitors can anonymously put how much money they made at different shows and then rate the shows based on uh, some different criteria some from one to five. And we found some very interesting results from that. And, yeah, I encourage you to, to, to folks to check it out. Um, and if you are a convention exhibitor – uh, look for the 2016 uh, exhibit, you know, thing when it goes up. Um, we'll announce it on our Facebook page and our, our Twitter page about when it goes up. Because um, it's, a, I think, a lot of people have come to us at the shows and been like, this is an incredible tool. Because you get a sense, like, it's like, oh, like, you know, the average sales at this show is, you know, $2,000. You know, it's like, oh, okay, that's, you know, pretty darn good. Whereas the average sales at this show is like two hundred dollars, it's mm-hmm. like oh, I got to avoid that show. Yeah. That's a bad show. Have you been approached either by, let's say, the top or the bottom in like a thanks for thanks for doing that, thank you for <laughs> quantifying that we are superior, or have you done the what the fuck, dude? You just like pulled back the curtain. You know, uh, surprisingly, no. no? I, there's, I get hints that people may have seen that, like people may have seen it based on their actions, like. I know, like, Amanda has pointed out to me that, like, since we started doing the survey, like, a lot more conventions, especially the ones that we list in the, in that we poll for, um, have off, have done, like, surveys of their own. Like, they, you know, okay. so, so, like, I don't know, like, they want their own, I guess they want their own data to see, like, what's, yeah. see what's up. So when it comes back <laughs> and it's the same, they're like, ah, Right, exactly, like exactly. <laughs> um, but of course, theirs is going to be their data is going to be skewed. So we have yeah, no yeah. real, we have no bias. Like we don't, you know, whatever the results are, it's fine with us. You know, it's fine with us. But like, if you know, you run a show and you are telling your giving your exhibitors like, here's a form to fill out. How did we do? You might be tempted to say, well, even if you didn't do so great, you might be tempted to say, oh, I did really well because you don't want to like piss them off so they don't give you a table the next right. year. You know, yeah, so yeah. there's like a there's like a bias there that you one has to account for. You know, whereas we don't really have that concern it's like you know whatever like you know we we all we do is we get these numbers and then we average the we average the numbers and put them on graphs and uh paul uh, roman martinez who does the adventures of 19xx webcomic who's a really who's a good friend he's a really cool guy he did did the covers for our uh, role-playing game parody wizards of cockblock forest (laughs) um everyone plays as a wizard and you have to cockblock each other with magic spells the um so so this is a game or is this a book this is a game it's okay it's like a it's i i wrote it it's i designed this this game it's like a parody of dungeons and dragons but you can actually play it it's like they're like zines um the um so he does the uh but paul does the uh does the artwork for the uh survey and uh he does an amazing job um formatting it making it look pretty um and yeah we had hundreds of i mean we've had hundreds of people uh fill out the survey over the years um 
and uh, hopefully we'll have hundreds more in the future. Because, yeah, as I was saying, all we do is we just take the numbers, we, you know, we, we put them together, we average them out. And uh, we make these graphs and then make a couple jokes. And that's, that's, it's hard work. It takes a long time yeah, to do it, sounds, to compile all the like data. But, like, we don't do, – beyond that, like, we're just the – you know, we're just the messengers. Like, this is what you guys said. This is what, this is what you guys said about these shows. So mm-hmm. Very right. cool. Now, oh? you are here on the Meltcast on yes. the Meltdown Network. But you also have your own podcast on the Meltdown Network. That's very true. Yes. Uh, thank you for <laughs> for uh, for doing that. So yes, uh, two packs a week, TWO packs a week. You can find it on iTunes. It's a show uh, on Meltdown, the Meltdown Network, where uh, I open up packs of weird retro trading cards with comedians, and we make fun of what we get inside. <laughs> so we find like the weirdest packs. We we we've opened Alf trading cards. Uh, we've opened uh, weird val- Valiant era trading cards. Uh, Aristotle and I, we opened up some packs on on the show. I did Hook, and I forgot what that the All Star comic. Yeah, comic all-stars from, like, 1990 or something like that. <laughs> yeah. None of them were we knew who they were. Nope. All these, like, superheroes. <laughs> it's like all these, like, these are, like, the up-and-coming hottest superheroes, and none of them we were aware We're up-and-coming at all. Yeah, yeah. No, they, they were up, well, They up maybe. and came and up, left. Yeah, up and came and left very quickly. <laughs> Um, so it's a lot of fun. We have uh, we have comedians, a lot of authors from the Devastator. You know, my my friends and and people I work with, uh, and people I I like to hang out with uh, for an afternoon and open uh, cards with. Yeah, that's that's how we do it. And sometimes I don't I don't know if there's any that you're like I am keeping this forever, <laughs> but you leave them here. You have an actual like tiny stand here. Yeah, that people buying at the counter. So I can't. Uh, my house, uh, my apartment is very small, mm-hmm. and we cannot have uh, just piles and piles of trading cards <laughs> as much as I love them. Cards, That's what binders yeah. are for. That's yeah. what binders are for. And when I was growing up as a kid, I had like, I was the kid with like 40 binders of worth of trading yeah. cards. Like I had a lot of trading cards and magic cards and all the, the overpower and all the things. Um, so we do, I do have a binder, but what we do is, uh, you know, we open, we, we open the packs and then, uh, you know, the guests keep some that they want. And then I keep one, I pick one that I like is like, this is the one I want to remember, you know, this is mm-hmm. my favorite of this pack. And then I put the rest in and give them to the, to the community here at the Meltdown. Yeah. So yeah. enjoy those uh, free trading cards. Oh, well, I did because I saw you, you, you had, um, Elvis. Yes. There. Yes. And uh, there was like four or five of them. And my sister is diehard. She's younger than me by like three years. And that's because my mother was diehard and my grandmother was just, they were all diehard. They were elf heads. Yeah. They, they loved <laughs> they Elvis. They were elvish, so and to speak. Elvish. <laughs> and um, so I gave them to her. She's like, oh my God. She went to a flea market and she found the cassette tapes of like Fun in Acapulco and Tickle oh, Me. Crazy. And she's like, I don't know how I'm ever going to play these again, but I'm buying them. And so she bought them. So, uh, so that right made move. her day. That made her day. So oh, that's thank so you. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, yeah. My pleasure. Yeah. yeah, you never know what you're going to find when you come to Meltdown yeah. Comics. You never yeah. know I, what you're going to find. I don't know if they were in the same episode, but I remember there being two episodes. One with 
Desert Storm cards. Yeah, and we one did. with guns. Oh my god! Yeah, those were two. Were di- those were two different shows. Uh, but those were those were crazy. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> Desert. We that feels like a very foggy memory in my mind. Yeah. Desert Storm cards. Oh yeah, ev- I think I had one. They were everywhere. They were hugely Holy popular, shit. and you can still find like they're they're still around. Like you'll go to sometimes you'll go to like a like kind of a rundown supermarket, and mm-hmm. you might see them like at the counter still. It's like hey, we got like five packs of Desert Storm cards that we've had since, you know, the, the, the they, 90s. God, yeah. Isn't that a product of the 90s? Like, we're merchandising our war, basically. We were. We I sure did. I don't, and I, now I feel bad because I'm like, I should fact check. I don't know if the Iraq and Afghanistan, um, Iraqi freedom, if they made cards of that, but I feel like someone would shit they did get a brick. That video game, America's Most Wanted. Do you remember that? I don't remember that. Uh, it was right around uh, then that they came out with this game, America's Most Wanted, and it, you were like a... A mercenary or a marine or something, and you were like fighting all these like terrible people in America, and the like the final boss was Osama bin Laden. Oh, that's crazy! So wow. You, yeah. So there, there was different ways. They so were always finding <laughs> yeah. some some way. Uh, we're always finding some way to merchandise war. The great guns one, I was like the most conflicted one because uh, it sounds it sounds like really funny. It's like great guns trading cards, and then it is just like pictures of guns. And a lot of them were guns that were used by the Nazis. Yeah. And oh it felt God. like I was like reading it. It's like, oh, God, like this is really, oh, Jesus. Uh, this does not make me very comfortable. Did the, were the <laughs> stats ever like super cringy? Like, see, this would be really good because you could, you could. <laughs> yeah, round up a, the yeah. number of people. This is really a, good because you could go train. down the yeah. line and just shoot them fast. Yeah. They were they weren't that crass, thank God. Okay. But Jesus. it was like, but but just like you know the way that it fetishized like the guns and stuff. I was just like, yeah, I was super uncomfortable <laughs> with with those cards. I think it's the only ones where I was like, uh, I'm not sure we should have opened these, but whatever. <laughs> it was fine. Yeah. Um, it was. I mean, we made fun of them, you know, for sure. Did you feel like okay? Because I I had. Uh, I, I will say that I had an ex girlfriend from Buffalo area. Great. And is it? Is it very red staty? Does it feel? Oh, Buffalo, how did you feel growing uh, no, up? No, liberal, liberal. Is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's blue state, but okay, New York think... is New York state is blue. I mean, obviously Buffalo is on the complete opposite end right. of New York, but of the city, but um, and and it's a very large state. I mean, it's like ten hour drive from Buffalo to New to New York. But uh, no, but uh, Buffalo is largely uh, Hillary country. Um, okay. Yeah, the people love Hillary, and it's uh, in Buffalo, and not necessarily because of anything specific she did for Buffalo while she was senator. Yeah. Except for going to Buffalo, like I mm-hmm. think that a lot of, and this was the, to her credit, like. Um, a lot of people who run for, you know, who I think are senator of New York think yeah. of themselves primarily as the senator of New York City. Right. As opposed to the senator of New York State. <laughs> yeah. You know? So she would always, you know, acknowledge Buffalo and she came uh, – she she comes to she comes yeah. to Buffalo quite frequently and people do uh, – people do like her there, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I can't speak for all Iowans, but I think a number of them do actually like Obama because – we're the first state to caucus, and right. politicians just show up, and we're aware. We're like, we I, we don't we know this is like you don't give a shit about us. You're gonna be gone like since we're first, and this is such a long trail. You're gonna forget about us next week. Right. Like we know that. But Obama, almost to a point where we were just confused, he came back so frequently 
as a sort of thank you for jumpstarting uh, what would be my presidency, that right. it would be the middle of uh, March, and he'd be there, and we'd be like, why? And they're just like, we're not sure. He's just saying thank you again. So it was, He keeps sending us all cards yeah, and yeah, baskets. It was, He's so it, nice. Yeah, so it, was, it, was, it was something. I got to see It's like your favorite band playing your weird small town, and it's like, why? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, but the reason I brought that up was because when you mentioned guns, I can, I can remember there's times where, like, I have flashbacks to what is kind of red state about Iowa. But I grew up in a very liberal part of it. Like reading was encouraged. Like we had like a, such a really good public library and, and community theater space and things like that. But I have these flashbacks where I was like, yeah, I remember my childhood, all of the like young boys that I was growing up because when I went back again as an adult, I saw, holy shit. It's like, I only realized that it just been there that, my entire life growing up, there's like a main drag of right. our hometown where it's just enlist in the army, enlist in the Marines, <laughs> right. enlist in the Navy. And it's, it's not advertising like here in L.A. It's like these are all the movies that are coming mm-hmm. out. It's just enlist, 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 enlist. Uh, they, and know, like, they know where they get yeah, their soldiers and, and from. And I was sort of like – I was like, holy, holy cat. Like there's times where I have to be reminded there are a lot of red things that happen when, in my home state. But I was in this like bubble of like I – like a very liberal right. side of it. It was so it's so strange. When uh, when I was in high school, I got a call from an army recruiter, mm-hmm. and uh, there was at the time it was like the, their campaign was very much like you can do anything in the army. Like you can be if you're interested in technology. You know, if you're going into computers, like we've got you know computer jobs. If you're interested in you know whatever, that's we've got the toilet scrubbing jobs. We got toilet scrubbing <laughs> jobs. Um, and so they, uh, so they called. They called the house mm-hmm. and they wanted to talk with me. And they, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm not definitely not joining the army. <laughs> the guy was putting a lot of pressure. So it's like, well, come on, like, what, what is it that you want to do with your life? And I was like, I want to be a professional comedy writer. And he was like, literally, he was like, well, I appreciate your time. Thank you, for, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for, thank you very much. And we'll, <laughs> and take it easy. Yeah. Hope you have a good rest of your day. <laughs> we do not. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> we don't need that in our army. <laughs> See, my, funny enough, you found the one job we don't have. <laughs> um, my, although I will give a shout out to. I was reading um, a uh, a. a Fan uh, came up to us because we have some of, some of our uh, readers are uh, are enlisted and they, they like our mm, books, okay. and um, which is always super cool. And they come to our to our comic table, and uh, there's one uh, there's a really funny military humor blog. I believe it's called the Duffel Blog, mm. um, and it's sort of like I think it's sort of like the Onion, but um, but through the lens of military. And I, I'll admittedly like it's meant specifically for active service members, but right. but it's it's very well done. Like yeah. it's very funny. Um, it's very good. And and if you are uh, active duty or if you were if you served, uh, I definitely recommend it. It's very 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 <laughs> funny. Cool. I re- I got some. I definitely got some of it. Like I definitely got the, and I got the. I like the sensibility of it. Mm. Um, anyway, just thought I would I did, give a shout the out. Only, the only humor involving the military that I experienced firsthand was was watching my dad when a recruiter came to our house because my dad was in the Marines. Uh, he served just two years because he really he it was coming to the tail end of the Vietnam War, and he's and I think everyone could feel like ah oh, this is like almost over, but it's not yet. And so he knew his draft number was coming up, and if you try to draft dodge or something like then basically you they pick for you where you go and right. say go to this branch because that's where we need you so he's like ah oh, shit 
well, I want to do the Marines because I can't swim. And if they send me to the Navy, I'm going to die. So, <laughs> so he, um, he enlisted and then he ended up being in the uh, 8th and I barracks, which is basically um, the uh, presidential silent drill team. Right. And uh, so he got to do that and he got to stand outside the Oval Office. Oh, and cool. it was like all within the like stretch of like two years. Huh. Um, but he, I never think of him as like, uh, even though they say you're always a Marine, you, you never stop being a Marine, you're just no longer in service. Uh, I never thought of that side of him because I don't think he ever wanted that to be a part of him. I think he like really pushed me to go into school because he's just like, I just, I don't want that for you. And that, th- there was no clear uh, stance in that when a recruiter came to our house, knocked on the door, and basically my dad was like, you need to turn around right now. You're not going to speak to him. And then he's, he just basically, like, gets in military stance and says, stand down, soldier. And, like, the, the guy listened, and he just walked away. All right. It was, like, it was like Pavlovian. Like, he heard it, and he's like, oh, I better leave. Oh, all right. So, yeah. But that was, the, that was like, really the only thing other than that. Like, my parents were, like, just... It was it was weird because my dad's like stay in theater that's where you belong I I see you wow. yeah it was so it's like dad it's, said it's stay in theater I know I, exactly <laughs> wow. it, it was like it was it was like whatever the opposite of like did you American li- Beauty is basically <laughs> where he's like oh god damn it you're a faggot it was basically like no 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 keep going kid did you grow up in the negative world from Stranger Things <laughs> yeah I don't know I don't know the the, the opposite, upside down the upside, upside down, down yeah. the upside down maybe prepared. did your were your parents the oh, upside down interesting so you say that though because I always thought i was like the i grew up in the home that was the of the demigorgon of the well (laughs) the antithesis to the devil because our our house was 999 oh son of a bitch so i was yeah because i was just always like wait if this is if this is uh if this if that's a satanic number then turning it upside down means heaven right because if (laughs) if if they like say like an upside down cross is like i always understood it to be 777 though is what heaven no, as the God number. That's is a the God six, six, But even, I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's kind of the jackpot in like Vegas, 777? Yeah, yeah it's like yeah. heavenly winnings. Yeah. yeah. I was, I wonder about that. Like, because you're right that like when you invert Christian symbols, yeah. it, it means like satanic stuff. Right. But I wonder <laughs> if you invert satanic symbols, what does that it means? mean, does it mean is necessarily a yeah. star? heaven stuff? Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, that's a good question. I always loved where I grew up. So I think it, I think I'm one step towards maybe that being true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, some uh, in classic fashion, we've uh, gone a little tangential, but Man. thank you go- for going down that road of with course. us. Of course, I'm always happy to take the drive. There's one more addition to that tangent. Ooh. Uh, another onion style blog kind of thing that I love so much is for the like the punk hardcore scene out there. The hardtimes.net. Ah, so, so good. There's some good. There's there have been many good ones in the recent. Year. Reductress is is great. Mm. Um, it's a, sort of a women's uh, magazine take on uh, a feminist take on the onion, and then uh, there's one for wrestling too. Uh, that's also really funny if you're a wrestling uh, fan like I am. There's uh, there, yeah, there's so many like we're starting to. I don't know if it was because the wrestler like or like this had always been there, but there was like a weird point it's, where we all decided no, you can have a very highbrow approach. To wrestling. wrestling, yeah, I, I actually think I, oh, so. I'm a wrestling fan, um, but I have been. I'm I'm sort of weird in that way um, because most wrestling fans were fans as kids. Mm-hmm. Right. They go out of it for a little while and then they come back to it as adults. Yeah. Whereas I was never a fan as a kid. I didn't like wrestling as a kid. I saw the movie The Wrestler in right. like 2006. I want to say 2007. Yeah, that's right. And I was like, oh, like these. 
these athletes are these these athletic performers are giving their lives, sacrificing their lives to do something that's like inherently like ridiculous, like <laughs> pretending to fight each other. Yeah. But it takes like so much artistry and like so much like of your body, like so much sacrifice. And, and sometimes can amount to nothing. And sometimes can amount to nothing. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, oh well, as a as a, someone in the performing arts, I can totally right. relate to this. <laughs> and, and so then I, I started watching, and I've been watching uh, for year. I've been watching for years now. Yeah. I, I love it. I'm actually I'm in a part of an a, a part of a group called Muscle Temple, and we're a it's a group of cartoonists and comics. Uh, professionals who watch wrestling events and go on sometimes go on wrestling field trips, and, uh, and we released an anthology, uh, Muscle Temple anthology, which you can get at MuscleTemple.lol, lol. <laughs> and uh, a man and I wrote a a fake uh, Raw script, a supposedly leaked script for Monday Night Raw. That uh, yeah, it's worth checking out. But the That's book cool. is mostly cartoons and comics and stuff. It's I, really I don't even think we said where is it that we can find. Screw it. Dream it. Screw it. Well, dream it. Screw it. Uh, if, when is this air? Is this air uh, so this Saturday. Saturday? This Saturday. Great. Okay. So, um, dream it. Screw it. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, you can pre-order on Amazon, uh, and it will be in bookstores and comic book stores across the country um, starting uh, September 28th. If your uh, store doesn't carry it, ask for it, and it will definitely be at uh, Meltdown Comics. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and you can also uh, get it on uh, from us, from our publisher in the publishing house at uh, devastatorpress.com. Very cool. Right. Very cool. And if you are if you are having trouble finding it and just through the avenue of listening to this, we do ship out of Meltdown and we have mm. so many people from and it's just it's just through using the regular way you would ship anything. We just ship it out and it shows up if you're having trouble finding it, but you're listening to this. Mm. Uh we'll have some for you. So that's only like an additional five dollars. That's it. That's so, it. Game over. Yeah. Support the store. Support yes. your local uh, your local amazing comic book stores like Meltdown Comics, which really is a is a hub to so many uh, awesome creators and and people. We're, we're really fortunate, I think, to have a Meltdown uh, here as part of our uh, I, uh, part of our lives here. I hadn't realized it because this was uh, I hadn't been going to Meltdown at the time, but I think. Either the store or Gaston himself had like shared on Facebook an old picture of you and Amanda, like for I think like a Kickstarter. Yeah, it's probably our launch, probably our launch mm-hmm. party. Yeah, back in 2010. Yeah, the it's so funny. They have been uh, the the we always think of Meltdown as sort of our flagship store because they always keep our books in stock. Uh, they've always been uh, featuring them and and uh, always very supportive of us, even in those the fledgling early days. So we <laughs> we love Meltdown and uh, yeah. Power to the melt. Thank you for that. And we uh, we love you guys, and we're definitely going to be carrying you for a long time. Hooray. So thank you very much for joining us on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me, guys. And uh, thank you all for uh, listening today. Um, Also check out Two Packs a Week. Previous two-time guest, Mike Levine, I believe (laughs) he chewed... He the chewed the gum. gum he chewed, he's one of Comic Con. He mm, was one of the yum-zo. few. He was one of the few to chew the gum. <laughs> Not a good idea. Doesn't Not a good good. idea. Hear him, hear him uh, choke it down at two packs a week. So TWO you, packs you, a week. You heard it here at Melcast. Don't <laughs> chew the gum. Don't chew thirty-year-old bubble gum. Not a good <laughs> idea. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for listening and uh, chew, chew, chew new gum. Don't chew old gum. <laughs> Hey, thanks for picking us up. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. We're at Meltcast. We occasionally tweet some things. And while you're at it, follow at Meltdown Comics. They're awesome 
and you can keep up with all of their sales and events that happen every day. Hey.